0: Activision Blizzard trial has been a beautiful disaster.
1: And people can fly rumors have got me all mixed up. (music) Hello and welcome to Triangle's Cradle PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck. And alongside me for very special episode 311. Oh, yeah, hold on. lucky episode 311 yep, uh, there you go. to i i gotta do that for for saul you know we, we like to keep his memory alive uh, the yep, phantom the of spectre. saul bridges
0: specter the specter that's yes
1: mm, alliteration's nice but chris yep. figs joins me as always back for another more normal episode of triangle square to playstation podcast if you are new to the show First and foremost, we hope you enjoy what you hear and that you stick around. We will of course eventually be getting into some of we're gonna we're gonna temporarily lift our ban on talking about Activision (laughs) Blizzard merger because there's actually a little bit worth talking about for once. That's not just weird speculation back and forth. Yep. Uh, we're going to talk about Remedy and more of why they talked about going with uh, all digital for Alan Wake 2 and how that's benefited them in their opinion. Sony kind of floundering in the mobile market potentially and more, but first and foremost, what we always do with this show is just check in on what each of us have been playing so that hopefully we can give you, the listener, uh, Insight on something you might have been curious about, let you hear our thoughts on something you are currently enjoying or not enjoying, or get you, you know, in, get you onto something new that you didn't know about. Mm. So speaking of onto something uh, not new, but onto something that's unfamiliar in some ways to one Christopher Figs, Chris is like in this weird, he, he's like in that ground Hay, G- Groundhog Day loop. <laughs> where he's he's back to playing a game for the eighth time until it sticks with him. So The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt is still in your favor for now, it would seem. Please expound and then let us know if there's anything else that you've been playing, Chris. <laughs>
0: um, well, f- to get it out of the way, I have not played anything other than The Witcher 3 for two weeks now. So other than like Marvel Snap, but nothing else. Um. Yeah, Witcher Three is fantastic. I'm really enjoying it this time. I don't know what else to say about it. I'm past the. I'm the furthest I've ever been, outside of like miscellaneous side quests and hunter contracts. Because I am playing the game through on Death March mode, as we've mentioned before, and I don't want to do the hunts on Death March mode. So I'm going to beat the game and move it down. Although, like I was saying to Brett before the show, the game has become. Much easier on Death March mode now that I have better gear and I'm specced out into my. I've I've been playing a science build, so I'm very much into Quen and Art. Um, and yeah, so it's just been it's been significantly easier to the point where it's one of those things where if I make a mistake, I'm gonna die. But if I don't make a mistake, like I've got this in the bag. And there was one. It actually makes me feel really good, like because it makes me feel like I'm good at it. Like I don't know if, how, how often you have that experience where you're playing a yeah. game and you're just in the flow of combat so much that you're just like, oh, I'm actually kind of sick. There was one point last night I was playing, and I think I took out like 10 dudes in a fight like without getting hit, and I just took a video. I saved, I saved the video. I was like, that oh, was some badass witchering. I'm keeping, that, I'm keeping that in the tank there.
1: Um, It's funny you say that because my Saved Witcher videos are all the game um, freaking the fuck out on me. (laughs) Like there's one where I'm rowing a boat in the water and I go to stand up in the boat in the middle of the water on accident. I hit the wrong button. But as soon as Geralt stood up, he just got flung (laughs) into the air like a thousand feet. And then suddenly it's like the, the model just... Like, my camera followed him, and then suddenly it just snapped back to the boat, and he was standing there in the boat again. And I was like, what really? the fuck just happened? I
0: had one glitch today where I thought it was really funny, where I'm going up this hill, and on Roach, which the one of the worst things about that game is Roach. Uh, he sucks, to the point where I just start running half the time. I don't even use him. Um, but, yeah, he. I was going up this mountain, and it glitched out so that roach was running on his front two legs and the oh. rest of it was sticking up and girl was like 90 degrees towards the ground I mean, this is yep. funny i'm not even going to complain about this one so yeah, yeah uh, I,
1: I actually had that same glitch in red dead too really it's I, i've had that in more horse games than i'd care to I, I had that in skyrim once they added the ability to fight on the back of horses i started riding yeah. horses more and then i noticed that that would happen anytime i'd go to try and go into combat and leave it like if i try and aim or something if the, the, the horse would freak out and just mm-hmm. run on two legs at a weird angle. yeah
0: horse was yeah. uh horsing around
1: <laughs> yeah he was horsing around um no not to be I confused actually... with joshing around
0: right exactly or mm-hmm. you know doing a folly but I think I think there's something interesting to talk about and I don't know if we've broached with this is um, how time and place video games can be and I don't know if you've had the same experience as I have thrice now where I've gone from talking on this podcast about how much I hate a certain game to a year and a half later I'm like I think that's one of my favorite games of all time <laughs> And I don't know if you've had that, but I think it's funny because, you know, I'm sure you remember we had that whole thing where I hate, I didn't, I don't like Horizon, and we talked about it on the show, and people were upset. And I think a lot of the stuff with that is it's just time and place. The time and place I was at when I played Horizon, like I just didn't want to play it. Like it's not something against the game, but it's stuff that I didn't enjoy that I was just like, I'm good, you know. Same with God of War.
1: Noticed, I noticed this week. Uh, since for some reason my phone is back to getting notifications of when you install stuff. <laughs> um, if I'm not mistaken, at least I'm pretty sure that's what that was, that yeah. you've reinstalled Horizon Forbidden West and I did, yes. Diablo 4.
0: I did, yes.
1: That I is... thought what was interesting there is my thought immediately was Diablo 4, Chris might have done because as we've talked about, we're, and as we're planning currently, we finally have time to reasonably play games together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that might have been part of Diablo 4, but then when I started thinking about Horizon, I was like, what would give Chris pause to think, maybe I should try it again? And I was like, he is currently playing The Witcher 3 and enjoying it. <laughs> so maybe, I." and I get that, like sometimes I'll have a thought process of like, well, I know I didn't like that game last time, but I already own it, like definitely if it's digital and you bought If you bought it digitally, it's not like you could sell it. <laughs> right. uh, so you still have it. Um, so sometimes when it's something like that, or if it's a game that's free on a service, you kind of have the, like, well, I know I tried it before, but who knows, maybe this will be the time that it works. Uh-huh. And it's usually a game that for all intents and purposes, you expect that you'll like, and then you start playing and you're like, I don't understand. <laughs> it's well, just not working for yeah. me. Yeah.
0: So there's two answers to that question. One of which is very boring. And one of which is more, I guess, introspective about it, right? The introspective answer is that I want to give Horizon another chance. Mm
1: -hmm. I really
0: do. But every time I have it on my console and something else I want to play comes out, it's the first game to get deleted, right? Sure. So I'll usually go to your account. I've downloaded it like three times. And I'll go to your account. I'll pick it out. I'll download it. And then I won't play it. And then something else will come. And I delete it. But is it like just, a rainy
1: day game? Do you like? Do you install it just so if you ever have the feeling that you'll already yes. have it and you won't have to have that barrier of waiting to download it to even start? Like you want that impulse to be acted on immediately? Should yeah, it happen? exactly,
0: exactly. Because that's the thing. It's one of those where I feel like my gut knows what I'm gonna like at the time. Does if that makes sense? Because it was a spur of the moment decision to play Red Dead again. And it was a spur-of-the-moment decision to play The Outer Worlds again. And it was a spur-of-the-moment decision to play The Witcher 3 again. And all three of those times, I was just... I've, I've gotten to the point where all three of those games... Like, right now, my current top five, and this is very biased with The Witcher, but it's Persona 5, Fallout 3, The Outer Worlds, Red Dead 2, Witcher 3. That would be my top five right now. And three of those games, I vehemently hated for a long time. And um, so I think there is something to the fact of, like, with Horizon, like, because I do this podcast and wanted to have an opinion, I forced myself to play it. And I didn't enjoy. Exactly. And I didn't enjoy what I was playing at that time. Right. And the same thing with The Witcher, where it's always been a conscious decision to. I'm going to go back and try this again. There must be something wrong with me. Clearly There was. But <laughs> <laughs> the reality is well, it's so is just funny it that you say that cuz this
1: is like a it's a dumb comparison but it's really true. I'm mm. like 80% sure that I still don't like broccoli as an adult because my <laughs> dad he forced me to eat it time and again yeah. when I did not like it as a kid and I don't think I've ever been able to get over that. Like one of the stories I tell um and I've probably told on the podcast before, but for any newer listeners, <laughs> if you're eating, you may want to take a second. But I remember one time I got sick after I was really young. It was like my my first stepdad. So I was probably seven or eight. And my mom cooked spaghetti. And me being a dumbass kid I am and watching like, uh, Uh, what is the uh, Lady in the Tramp, where like they're just slurping the noodles. So I'm just over here like swallow noodles whole, not chewing the spaghetti. And I got sick for some reason and had to throw up and I was throwing (laughs) spaghetti up. And since I hadn't chewed it, it was coming out in long noodles. And if you know anything about throwing up, eventually your body would be like, bro, I need to breathe. So I breathed noodle back in and just threw up more viscerally. And And for years, up until about five years ago, If I ate spaghetti, I put it on a plate and I chopped it up with a fork. And my wife was like, why the fuck do you do that? And I had to explain to her. And now I have gotten past it. I'm like, I'm an adult. I can chew my spaghetti. I am aware of what happens if you don't chew your spaghetti. And now I love spaghetti. without. I can eat it from a bowl. I can, you know, it's really reinvigorated my life because now I can eat chicken parmesan on a bed of spaghetti. And "Mm, what a good time (laughs) that is, you know? So that's the that's the analogy. You know, one of these yeah. days, I, I'm trying to think of a game that I have actually hated, and I, I don't know if I can even think of one right now. It's like what, one of the things I've noticed as I've gotten older, and it seems like maybe it's not as true for you, though I'd be curious to see what you think of it at least. Because I've played games for so long, I'm usually usually pretty good at spotting a game and knowing if I'm going to like it and therefore only buying games that are I can tell that there's something there that I'm very strongly uh, likely to enjoy. And so a, I can't genuinely think of the last time I played a game and was like, oh, yeah, I, I just don't like this at all. Like Maybe so- I didn't like it enough to fall off of it, but I can't think of a time where I had a game that just – Is it a question –
0: and this is not meant as a dig towards you, but is it a a question of you just don't go back to something that didn't hit you at first?
1: Is it more that? No, it's it's because of the – like this week is a good example, right? The summer is making my yard fucking insane. And I had spent, I've had to spend so much time dealing with yard work, and I have barely gotten a game in the last like two weeks almost because of vacation, yard work, other responsibilities. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, kiddo and whatnot. And so I think I'm at that point definitely right now. Earlier in the year when I was playing Vita the whole time, it was different. I had more time, the yard really wasn't popping off or anything. And Friends don't want to do as much stuff, which is not a problem. It's just, you know, you only have so much time you have to divide. And so, like, right now is a really hard time for me to go back to anything. Like, it's not even really on my mind to go back to something. But there are times in the year where where I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go back and Platinum Infamous 2. Now, I already knew I Mm -hmm. loved Infamous 2. But the point being is that a lot of it, I don't think... I think a lot of it's just I don't have enough time to play the things I'm already excited for. And this year is not making it any easier, as we've talked about with how crazy the release schedule has been. So, yeah, kind of. I mean, do you feel like there's a game you and I have talked about that I've actually started and been like, nah, I don't want to go back to that? Like, there's plenty of games that you and I have talked about that you've played, that you mm-hmm. want me to play, and I've just not played them yet at all. Uh huh. And that's a different thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's And and what's funny is most of them, it's not even because I I think I would like Persona. I don't think I would like the time investment. Do you know what I'm saying? That's it. The time investment is the thing that scares me off. So that's the the difference between something I I think I'd like, but there's a different factor and mm -hmm. something that I just don't, you know, I don't remember liking, but you you know, do you have an example you can think of that you've talked to me about?
0: Not that I can think of. My thought is more like, I think you get, a preconceived notion of something, and then you're just like, I'm not touching that. Like your preconceived notion that Persona 5 is going to take too long for me to want to play.
1: Oh, it's definitely hard to break.
0: Takes you you away from even starting the game where it's one of those things where, yes, Persona 5 is long, but if you play it for 80 hours, that would mean you enjoyed... The majority of those 80 hours so yeah. there really is no reason not to start it just because it's long you know because witcher platinum is going to take me a hundred something hours but that doesn't necessarily mean i shouldn't have started it and i think that's kind well. of the one thing which is different than what we're talking about really because sure sure but it is a it is kind of it kind of goes to the same thing where i've got hundreds of games that you might look at and be like yeah this looks cool but i don't want to spend the time where i'm kind of the opposite where i'm like i'll spend five minutes (laughs) and see how it goes or i'll spend an hour and then drop off and sit on the show and be like you fucking red dead is garbage and then i'll come back later to it so
1: one thing i'll tell you is that I, i i agree with you in that sometimes the the problem i present to a game within my own mind is hard to get past and the best bet for me would be not having anyone have ever told me that the real way to play Persona Five takes like over a hundred hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is definitely like unfortunate because I could see a version of myself playing that game without unknowing the time commitment and then it not being a problem. But knowing it creates a mental barrier, kind of like the knowing you'll have to download a game before, like when that gut feeling hits to want to play it, and you don't want to mm-hmm. fuck up and have the download happen take so long that your gut feeling though even want to play it goes away and you're like oh, okay yeah <laughs> you started know? something so, else or yeah but i don't know i guess i don't feel like there's a lot of games that i'm just like truly never ever it's like i have a list of games that on a crazy random time where i have more time i'm gonna go play and i, right. I mean i kind of did that on vita uh it's just it was platform specific so like i have some ps3 games that i need to to do that with uh mm. of course i need to do that with wanted as you continue to tell me god damn uh, it, man. I've, I've never played it and here there it is sitting there uh i can finally get deep bottom, into. <laughs> yeah, I, <know. laughs> I can finally get into uh deeper into two worlds 2 after only playing like the opening hour at launch when it was a broken buggy mess can't wait and for i that. just went and got it yeah <laughs>
0: Yeah, so time, there, but, there are
1: so. games that I think... like I could see that game being good, or at least being interesting. So mm. I'll make my way back around to it eventually. I'm trying to think if there is a game I truly feel like I played 100% just didn't enjoy. Uh, because the, the upside to having a pretty good no-gut uh, feeling about what you will and won't like, and only buying things that you feel you'll enjoy, is the upside clearly, I'm not wasting money on things I don't enjoy very often. Downside... Yeah. There are, and I know this, there are times where something doesn't look like it would do something for you, but then you start playing and you're like, holy shit, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's like inscription, I think, is a good example of something I was open to. But every time I would look at it, I was like, I don't I don't get it. Like, yeah. But that's just looking at it. And the, the reason is it's, it's a game you have to play to even get i I don't Mm -hmm. think you could describe that game adequately you definitely can't get it just from watching something without spoiling like you can probably enjoy that game if you're willing to watch people spoil it but that's about it i don't think you can get an ideal i don't think you can get too strong of an idea if you'll like it just based entirely off of um no but just watching a few minutes of play that's
0: i think the the interesting thing with every game right is i don't think i've ever bought a game and been like i don't think i'm gonna like this but i'm gonna buy it but I've definitely bought yeah. games where I've looked at and been like, I think I'm gonna like this, and then I turned it on and didn't. Um, yeah. And that's, I think, yeah. the difference. One definitely one of the differences between us is like I feel like you're more you're more willing to just not buy something. You're just like fuck it. Oh,
1: one hundred percent. I'll I'm just, just
0: like whatever. I don't care.
1: <laughs> well, definitely now that I've gotten to the point where I only play something or only buy something when I'm ready to play it. Like I yeah. I bought Final Fantasy 16 yesterday cuz I was like I'm yeah. starting it today.
0: I got really and, lucky with that because if I wasn't playing The Witcher 3, I would have bought that knowing that you were the one planning on buying it cuz but I got to with Witcher 3 and I was oh, like sometimes I was going to bump play me over Final the head. Fantasy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but if it's a game that you know I'm going to get anyway realistically, you yeah. can just tell me to get it and I'll go ahead and get it. But my uh my habit that I have formed is to not rush out and buy something until I'm ready to play it because it can save you money. But like okay. on something like that, where because like good example is Star Wars Jedi Survivor, getting that for thirty dollars, I'm so glad because considering like all the problems I've had with it, <laughs> <laughs> I am I, I think I'm much more lenient on the game than I would be had I actually spent seventy dollars on it.
0: Oh, 100 percent, absolutely. I don't know. So, Either way, the less interesting reason that I downloaded Horizon is because I I bought a two terabyte SSD for my PS Five, so I just oh, threw it yeah. on there and I was like, "That's there you go." But I want, like we said, I want it available for when the time strikes.
1: Well, there you go. All right. Well, uh, I got the Platinum Star Wars Jedi Survivor and I deleted that game faster than I've probably ever deleted anything from my hard drive. <laughs> Though actually, I, I, I'm I'm hamming that up a bit. As soon as I platinum mini game, I delete it. <laughs> I'm not even mm-hmm. kidding. It's like that's the, it's like me putting the bullet in old Yeller's head. You know, it's like, all right, I I've, <laughs> I've made the choice. You're gone. But no, realistically, it's it's a great ribbon. Like you know, it's like I know I'm done with that game. What else am I going to do? I platinum it. So I enjoy that. It gives you. That uh, closure to where you're like, yeah, it's not on my hard drive because there's no reason for it to be. There's nothing left for me to do here. So that's been cool. Uh, I'm glad to be out from under that. There's some interesting ideas. I still think that some of the platforming, I don't think the mechanics are tight enough as I got to some of the force tears where you're platforming heavy. Um, I don't think the game's movement mechanics are that tight. I was able to do them, but it was incredibly frustrating the majority of the time. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I just managed. and my wife was watching me. And, and the, again, bugs are the big problem with the game. I would land where you should be running on a wall and it just wouldn't run. I l- would land exactly how you're supposed to. And I would just like face through the wall sometimes. It would just stop and then have me immediately fall. Like I never even grabbed onto anything. One time I ran and jumped and for some reason the camera like spun around me when I went to jump to the other wall, it like angled Cal and I jumped to the back side of the other wall. Somehow it was wild. <laughs> so I got through it, but that was starting to near the, I'm not going to get the plat because it's, I'm starting to resent this game territory. Uh, that can happen with almost any game. Uh, I got back to Diablo 4 and beat the uh, epilogue, which I was right at the end of, and have finally got to World Tier 3, did that dungeon. That's been a good time. Uh, we'll continue to play that off and on. But I started Final Fantasy 16 and man... 16 is a game that's clearly been super divisive online. Chris, I'm sure you've seen some of the conversation. And there's a lot of conversations. Is it or isn't it a Final Fantasy? What makes something a Final Fantasy? Have we been down this road road before with other Final Fantasy games? Blah, blah, blah. Um, And then, of course, the one of, is this a game? Is this a movie? What is it? Is it next gen? And uh, it's interesting. I'll definitely tell you. I am having a blast with 16. It is. We talk about graphics and how they don't have to matter all the time, and I do believe that. But 16 is a gorgeous, gorgeous game, and that's not the most amazing thing about it. It's just something to note. Um, Where I think 16 gets interesting is it... It's exactly what I feel like I've needed out of the industry lately, in that it's a triple A game with triple A production values and a long, you know, story that has this, you know, big sprawling world, but it's not trying to be open world. It's not trying to have you explore every nook and cranny of this. Instead, it's like tight focus levels with interesting story, interesting characters, long cutscenes. It feels like a PS3 game. Mm- it feels like a PS3 remake in some ways. Okay. And that is really weird because while I'm playing it and I'm looking at the presentation and how it's almost mission-based with the way the map works, where it's like you'll you'll go to a map and you'll spawn into to an area, you'll walk through it, and the story cutscenes will happen after you fight all the things. It reminds me, for anyone who's played it, it reminds me of Guard 3, if Guard 3 was given like AAA budget. Like it's designed in a very similar way and then it goes to these very adult dark brooding sometimes long cut scenes and i'm having a blast with it but i 100 percent see where someone might feel like this it doesn't feel it looks next gen and it feels decidedly two gens ago but i mean that with all the love in the world yeah. we talk about how much we love ps3 games all the time
0: We <laughs> love some ps3 my the my biggest concern that i've heard is just that uh it it plays like an mmo and i don't know i haven't started it yet i've been way too deep into uh gerald of rivia's ass to play anything else but
1: i have heard your that thoughts in on regards that? to the side quests i can tell you i'm not incredibly far in the game since i started it yesterday but i have wanted to keep playing it um I think it plays like an action game. It plays like devil may cry, but less juggly in that side of the action, you know, process. Like you can still juggle a little bit, but it's not the main focus. Uh, And there's a lot of interesting combos and stuff you can do. So I would say it's, it plays like an action game uh, and it plays like an action game that has a layer of RPG stuff in it, but it's not really an RPG in any meaningful way. And that's fine. I don't think it matters. Um, so that's kind of where I'd come from with it. I don't, I don't know what people mean by plays like a MMO. I've played Final Fantasy Fourteen. It mm-hmm. doesn't play like Final Fantasy Fourteen. But I think <laughs> I'm not that sure. That's
0: just one of the things I've heard. I,
1: I think people mean, and I haven't done side content, so I think that's going to be the biggest thing. I haven't done any side quests. Yeah. Um, and I could see the side content being the same run of the mill, low effort, not great MMO style fetch quest, kill quest. I haven't done any of that yet, but I could see mm-hmm. it. But yeah, it you know, I don't particularly hate that. Definitely, if it's a smaller aspect of an otherwise long story-driven game, doesn't bother me. Gotcha. Yeah. Just my curiosity on it. I'll get to it eventually. I do want to play
0: it. So. We'll
1: yeah, see. I really think that they've gone a long way. Because if I remember correct, this game is developed on Unreal Engine, um, and it is. Really, it, it's it's what it, it's it, it's not an RPG. So we got to be fair to that to some extent. Oh, what's not an RPG? Um, Final Fantasy sixteen. I, I would. I think you'd be hard pressed to call this game an an RPG. I mean, you can. You can call it an action RPG to some degree, but I don't think that they've even said themselves like this is an action game. And I I think that's the best way to describe it. It's as much of an RPG as a Devil May Cry is, where you and actually even I guess a little bit more because you know like Devil May Cry hardly ever has you deal with gear. Like there's gear here. You can put some rings and necklaces on and some belts and wristbands, and you know you can change what weapon you use. But it's all just. It slightly changes stats. I don't think that I would consider this. This is as much of an RPG as like Horizon Zero Dawn was. And that's well, they would tell you it's an RPG. So, <laughs> But I think you'd agree with me. Like, you're playing The Witcher right now. That's an yeah. RPG.
0: That's kind 100% of tried an true
1: RPG. So you look Hot at take, something like this. I think it's more
0: of an RPG than Skyrim is.
1: I agree, actually.
0: Because I am actually playing a role in this
1: role-playing game the role of Geralt of Rivia. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're playing the role of Dragonborn. (laughs) It's just a more vague role.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I guess so.
1: Either way, um, yeah. So I'd be curious to see you play this in the long run, primarily just out of curiosity of of what you think of it. Also, this is not on Unreal Engine or Luminous Engine, so I don't know what the hell engine it is. Wouldn't that be wild? I feel like it would say it in the splash opening, but... Oh, a thousand percent it would say it in the splash opening. Still, pretty interesting. Um, So yeah, whenever you get around to it, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts, because I just think it's undeniably with zero stink for me when saying this. It is a PS3 game in structure. And it does do one thing that I know Saul hates, and I can see there's times where even I'm like, why did you even bother? Where... (laughs) The game will go from a cutscene and then it will transition to you controlling the character, and then you'll just like walk up a hill and then it'll start another five minute cutscene. You're like, why? I, I got <laughs> nothing from walking up that fucking hill. I don't care. You could have just kept playing. You could have just cut to the next cutscene. You could have had me walking up the hill be a cutscene if you needed to just locomote Clive somewhere else. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't care, but giving me the control at the beginning of the game. And it was like in like the opening hour or two. And then having me walk up a hill, I'm like,
0: I know. I did exactly. nothing
1: else. I did nothing else. And Kingdom Hearts had this. When you're at the end of one section, you literally land at a cutscene, you walk forward, and then another cutscene starts with the final hit boss. And you're like, what? why did you waste time? And I, my assumption is for Kingdom so Hearts, and maybe this is so that you have, I think it, it might be that, but I actually think it's to give you a chance to change your build. There's a buffer to where, like, now in this game, clearly, this is an opening. You don't even know what a build is. It hasn't introduced any of that mechanically. There's no reason. But in Kingdom Hearts 3, it might be that you want to change which skills you have equipped, which ones you don't. Maybe you want to change which Keyblades you have so that you can change which Keyblade form you use to help you in the boss fight. And it gives you a chance to do that. And in this game, if it does it again, I could see that maybe it's to give you a chance to spend ability points on certain abilities before you go into another fight. And so there's there's a reason for it to some degree, but not in the part where, I was, <laughs> where I'm highlighting. It was just kind of like, eh. But I think it's a great game. Cool. Yeah. So with that said, I think we're going to go ahead and move on into... Uh, the news here, and or actually the community stake, rather. Uh, the community stake this week came courtesy of our guest last week. If you've not listened to that episode, we had Luke Lore, otherwise known as the Insipid Ghost, from the Xbox Expansion Pass podcast, and he. And in his guest capacity, chose to ask the question of, which controller do you prefer? A DualSense-style controller with its haptic feedback and adaptive triggers, or something more along the lines of a traditional Elite controller like Xbox, Astro, Razer, and more offer? And you know what's funny? Is, I don't think any of the responses... I, I'm there, none of them are wrong, but I think it's funny that what I got from what he asked was different than what I feel like a lot of people got out of it. I kind of took it to mean like, do you like all the extra bells and whistles and the positives and negatives that may come along with that, depending on who you are, or or are you a more of a preference of, instead of trying to increase immersion, increase customization with things like trigger stops and back paddles. And that's why I think he specifically noted the elite controller. Um, But a lot of people just kind of boiled this down to a discussion between what PlayStation does best in a controller and what, Xbox does best in a controller. Uh, <laughs> well, Brett, do we, do we want to answer our preference here? Absolutely, Chris. What's yours?
0: Um, my preference is the Elite-style controller from both companies because I have a Xbox Elite and a DualSense Edge, and the reality with both of those controllers is I don't use the back paddles. I literally just like the heft, and I like the feel of the buttons. Um I actually use the back buttons a little bit more on the DualSense Edge because the DualSense comes with, like, those nubs, the little nubbins, and mm. instead of the long, like, paddles, because I got big-ass hands, so, like, I can't hold the controller with the paddles on it. So mm. the nubs actually allow me to use it. And since I've gotten that controller, I straight up have stopped flying Apex. But... The reason I <laughs> used it at first was because it was really nice to put reload and jump on the back buttons. You could, I could definitely feel the difference in gameplay of how that was making me better. But again, I yeah. just I haven't played anything online in weeks.
1: Or right, it kind of bridges that gap between PC and and, and console to where the controller mm-hmm. has a limited amount of buttons in comparison to keyboard mouse, and so introducing more buttons is a way to fix that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, I played I, all of our
0: time with Halo Infinite. I played it on PC. I never played it on Xbox. So, I do definitely you feel like?
1: That. Do you feel like you are surprised that there has yet to be a console that has solved the problem by making paddles and everything standard, therefore increasing that control that? systems capacity up or do you think that this is not surprising because it's almost something the entire industry would have to do at this point because of how important third parties are and someone's not gonna utilize four extra buttons on a playstation when those four buttons can't be utilized in game design on the xbox version you get what i'm saying
0: yeah i mean there's that but i think the simpler answer is that gaming is a much wider hobby than just enthusiasts and i think Mm -hmm. like like my girlfriend just started playing video games and i don't know if handing her a controller with two extra buttons would help is helping or hurt. <laughs> no i feel like that would yeah. just make it more confusing and i think that's the thing even for me as someone who plays games i would forget those buttons were there or i would hit the button by accident because it's there so i just think i think the back buttons are a very localized thing that a very small amount of gamers are truly interested in but mm-hmm. it's a, it's something to help like it will help you if you play Apex or Call of Duty competitively but like what am yeah. i going to put what am i going to put on the back buttons for for Witcher 3 like what what reason do i have for that you know what i mean mm-hmm. it, so there's i just don't think and i think the vast majority of the games don't need it there's small niche instances where you could make an argument that a back button would help in the witcher 3 but not enough that i would say we need to change all controllers
1: yeah and that's the thing is like you know the the uh the more core gamer part of me sees it as like oh yeah there you're starting to bridge the gap of introducing more buttons and you think about the fact that we have far more buttons now than we did 30 years ago in controllers you know Mm -hmm. what i mean yeah, and they exactly. they've put them in places that make sense. Like, well, we already had an analog stick, so what if we just make it where we can click the analog stick? And you know, going to your point, just watching my wife or my kid, they don't even realize there is a button on the analog stick. It's like I'll be like, click the analog stick, and they're like, what do you mean? And you take that for granted. So, yeah, I am not surprised either. Even though there is a part of me that wants to be, because I think mobile phones and how uh, popular mobile gaming is goes to show you that the more simplistic and intuitive you can make something the better you're going to have a more casual audience be able to come in and enjoy it. Um, So interesting as it may be. So my answer to that before we get into everyone else's is that I can see where both are useful and I can see where having uh, the no thrills aspects can come in because it's just like you do a good controller, you do it well. I personally really like the immersive touch. I remember that, you know, whenever games are using it correctly on PlayStation 5, I find the haptic feedback to be incredible. I love the triggers, and I really enjoy it almost every game with it, even though occasionally it can tire you out, which is an interesting feeling whenever you do something in a game that's, like Final Fantasy 16 is a good example. Sometimes <laughs> you'll go to open a door and mm-hmm. you hit X, but some doors are so big, that you've got to hold R2 and it resists as you're pulling it down for you to push the door open. And Uh it's like, it's a cool idea, but is it necessary? No, but I enjoy it. It's like a, it's a nice little extra layer of immersion for those who want it. And it's a cool way of letting me as the player do something that they could have just animated without my input, um, which is interesting to see. Uh, But... So if that didn't answer clearly enough DualSense, I I really am a big fan of the DualSense. The downside of that clearly being the battery life (laughs) that comes from all that Offset
0: sticks are bad.
1: Also that, but you know, you don't have to have offset sticks on anything if you don't want. (laughs) They make Xbox controllers without without those sticks? I mean, not official Microsoft ones, but there are plenty of aftermarket third-party ones, yes. All right, dog. Look, I'm not buying aftermarket
0: shit. At thirty, at almost thirty-one years old, I'm just not doing it. Give me your, give me the official <laughs> Xbox controller. I don't. I'm sorry. I'm not. We're not going back to the Mad Cats era.
1: Except now it's like oh, no, Zuzu we're, we're talking, Z, Z.
0: Some Chinese company like off Amazon.
1: We're talking Razor or Astro. You know, mm,
0: no Microsoft's official Scuff, What's the one that uh, oh, God, Corsair Scuffs bought?
1: Are, I think it's Scuff.
0: Yeah, Scuffs are not good though. <laughs>
1: How dare you say that when we have a custom-made triangle-squared scuff right here, right in front of Mr. Killzone's helmet face. You see that? Mm. You probably can't. It's pretty small on camera. It
0: says a lot that that's been on a pedestal. The entire time I've known you and never used. <laughs> Literally a
1: pedestal. <laughs> yes, it is. It does work, but it's purely visual. Um, all right, let's go to the Community Stake answers. If you want to be part of the Community Stake, remember, this is something that we post on social media, be it Twitter, Facebook, the Discord, which we always have linked in the description below. So uh, if you want to be able to respond to that and to that call uh, about... A day or two before we record, we tend to put out a call to the community to answer. And you can follow us on Twitter at Triangle SQRD, or you can find the Facebook group Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. Ask to be entered in there. We'll get you in. Uh, or, like I said, in the link in the description below, whether you're watching on YouTube, listening on podcast services, you can find the Discord, which is where you will most likely catch Chris and I at any given point in time. It's where we mostly communicate with everybody, which is mm-hmm. uh, usually pretty fun time. It's really so, nice. It's a. Uh...
0: A group of people who, despite having a like-minded interest, have multiple different interests inside that that hobby. So, anyone is welcome into the Discord who wants to be a part of it.
1: Sometimes that comes with chaos. Sometimes it comes with uh pleasant surprises. It's just, uh, you know, it is what exactly. it is. So, with that, one of our Discord uh, users and patrons, TTDog666, says, I was never a fan of the DualShock PS1 and PS2 era. I always used a third-party pad. <gasps> Chris, how, yeah. how dare he? Right, I'm kidding. Disgusting. <laughs> but they made, but they've made huge leaps forward with PS4, PS5, even further strides forward. But I much prefer off, offset thumbsticks. Boo, this man! I'm kidding. I mean, look to to really answer it, I would actually find it incredibly interesting if Xbox made an official symmetrical stick controller, and X- and PlayStation made an official offset stick controller. Like, you know what I mean? Like that mm-hmm. would be interesting because then it really is this where do you want to play but i think there's too much brand recognition that comes from each one of them like so at least from sony sony stands to gain more from being the only player in the console space with non i guess with symmetrical sticks as opposed to asymmetric so it's become part of their brand identity i don't really know that they can I don't know that they value they understand the value of dropping at this point. When you see a PlayStation controller, you immediately know it's a PlayStation controller. Mhm. Whereas those less initiated with gaming could look at a, you know, like the Wii U Pro controller or the Switch Pro controller and the Xbox One controller and probably not really be able to tell it as, a, you know, as a part. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. For sure, uh, Rude Days ninety three, another patron, longtime listener, says, "I'll echo TT Dog's sentiments. The PS five controller itself is the biggest leap a controller has ever taken, and the haptics feedback and adaptive triggers, when used correctly in games, are certainly next gen. Offset sticks, though, are the more preferred way to go for me still, especially in shooters. Uh, so now that we've got those two, we're gonna flip back around to someone who feels a little differently. Jahudi MD, longtime listener, longtime patron. I was a PlayStation player since the very beginnings." So I have got used to the controller layout and ergonomics. While they have changed it, especially with the Dual Sense, I still prefer it from a perspective of being familiar with it and how it feels. The Xbox controller is good too, and I don't think there is much difference when, uh, with either. The Nintendo Joy Cons, on the other hand, is a whole different story, um, and that's why, thankfully, the Joy Cons are not the only way to play the Switch. <laughs> if you they are the want superior use... controller, though. Oh, really? Uh, no. Why do you say that?
0: I, because it was a trolley thing to say. Not real <sighs>
1: sarcasm. Josh Ayers, another patron. All the patrons came out for this. They said he says dual sense. Zero doubt in my mind. It is how controllers should be going forward. Increasing immersion is the way forward. <clears throat> and the last one I think is going to get to where this is interesting. Velvet Thunder comes in much like Chris in a way. Another patron. He says, "Isn't the dual sense edge both of these things?" I choose that. (laughs) And it is. But that's why I think going back to the idea of the controller not necessarily focusing on... Because here's the thing. If you don't like the haptic feedback that comes in from that and you don't care for the adaptive triggers and you'd rather have trigger stops and everything else... The DualSense Edge doesn't take away any of the features you don't like. All it does is still add the other things back in, which is great if you like those features and then want the Elite features. But if you're someone who really wants you know, more of a controller that is just functionally good, because I think that there's a strong argument to say that functionally speaking an Elite controller makes more sense functionally. Than the dual sense as just an immersion controller, but the immersion controller is going to matter to a broader audience than a fully utilitarian controller would, because, like Chris said, it's more of a niche thing. It's for people who play specific games at a specific level and want that act ex- that extra usability out of it. Uh, mm-hmm. But most people don't care. <laughs> That's just the reality of of the market. No. And so we come to our last <coughs> answer from Sweet Gran Turismo Jones, and he says, I'm torn with dual sense. It's fucking awesome, especially for Gran Turismo, but sometimes it hurts my hands. I can't tell if it's the ergonomics or just the pressure of having to hold down the triggers. Shit, maybe I'll turn haptics off and see if it still hurts. This is where I go into, this is a good example of someone who likes aspects of it, but then also thinks to themselves, some of these new immersion things might also be why I sometimes don't have a great experience with a controller. And I think that's more of where I was thinking of the thing in my head is like better battery life and everything that comes from, you know, a more traditional controller versus having actuators and haptics and all those things. In I can see both sides. Uh, Chris, have you had a game on PlayStation hit you to where you felt like shit? Maybe I need to turn off the the triggers because they're starting to hurt my wrists.
0: Yeah, I think it was God of War, but like it legitimately hurt my hands to play that game with the haptics.
1: Uh, Hogwarts was one of them, to where the longer might have I played, been Hogwarts, more I was like, actually. this is starting to kind of hurt, and then uh, Forspoken. So two games very close to each other that really relied on the triggers for their primary use in combat. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy that feature. I adore it, but I turned it down, not off. I made it weak. On both of those games after a while because it was hurting my wrist because so, it's it's the having to pull so it's like hurting your carpal tunnel more um which is an interesting feeling so um but there we have it a playstation podcast has mostly more people who enjoy the playstation controller uh, <laughs> but there's plenty of room for I, you know the biggest upside is that PlayStation clearly did something right, where even people who don't usually like symmetrical sticks are still like, "Yeah, the dual sense is pretty fucking good." Mm-hmm. So, dual sense is that pretty fucking good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. All right, guys, we are going to move into the news, but quickly, a little reminder: if you're listening to the show and you enjoy what we have going on, we would ask that you consider. If you're listening to this on a podcast service that allows you to rate and or review the show, please consider doing those. Uh, it lets us know what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, or more importantly, it lets other people know whether or not they you think the show is worth their time, uh, which we love so much when you guys are able to do. Uh, it just brings new voices in, new people in, so we can get new perspectives, and that's always uh, the fun part of doing the podcast. Uh, so with much love, we would appreciate if you do that. Also, if you want to join... The small but loving group of people who go to patreon.com slash nartech and give this show as little as a dollar per month to help us stay afloat and thriving without having to dig into our own pockets. Uh, You can do so by going to patreon.com slash nartech once more uh, and giving us a little dollar per month. We are so thankful for everyone who does that, uh, and it helps to keep the show free for everyone who can't do that. So we appreciate you patrons. You guys are great. First piece of news. As I teased earlier, we are relieving our ban on the ABK Xbox <laughs> merger to relay a few interesting tidbits. So the first one: speculation about the Machine Games Indiana Jones exclusivity status has run rampant for a long time. Uh, you may remember it was announced before it was announced after Microsoft intended to buy Bethesda, but before it closed. So it was kind of in this weird room of is it. You know, is it going to be? Is it not going to be? But that can finally end. During the FTC court case, it came out that while the game was originally a cross-platform game, uh, after Microsoft acquired Bethesda, the contract with Disney was rewritten, and the game will now become exclusive to the Xbox platform. Uh, Also to note, our Jim Ryan's testimony today about Game Pass, he had this to say, Recounting Now, this is actually via VGC. So this is kind of something that Chris snipped out from their news just to, you know, why, why reinvent the wheel? They already had it figured out. So recounting the discussion, Microsoft lawyers, uh, Microsoft's lawyer said Ryan told investigators that Game Pass had, quote, driven them to make the large acquisition presumably meaning that game pass is what fueled microsoft to want to buy activision to help fuel game pass ryan reportedly continued i talked to all publishers and they unanimously do not like game pass because it's value destructive the lawyer asked was that true at the time i believe it to have been true ryan responded Quote, you said you talked to all the publishers, did you? Presented Microsoft Lawyer. Quote, I talked to publishers all the time, and this is very commonly held view over many years by the many publishers, Uh, Ryan responded. So this is interesting because this comes off the back of our discussion with Logan where it is kind of undoubtedly – more or less unanimously agreed upon that game pass has high value for small games because of the immediate built-in audience. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, we talked about whether or not that audience hurts the potential value or the potential dollar uh, earning value potential that a big budget, big publisher game can do. And, you know, his argument which I think is a fair one, is that we're still seeing it happen. We're seeing it happen with Capcom bringing games to the service day and date. Uh, We've seen it with Square Enix bring games to the service day and date with, like you mentioned, the potentially rough deal for people can fly with Outriders. So there's two things to note here. First and foremost, this is just Jim Ryan's testimony, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's the absolute truth. It doesn't mean that it actually speaks for all publishers, but he's saying more well, or less in the uh, publishers quick, he's though. talked
0: to. Good. J- just, just before we get too far off. Well, yes, it is Jim Ryan's opinion, and it's not mm-hmm. necessarily true of all publishers. He was under oath. So ostensibly
1: what he's saying is true. I will just, give you that. You can easily make sure lie sure under oath. Sure, but of you course, are correct. He's under he's under oath, so he's saying this with a degree of certainty that he's not going to be able to get caught thinking otherwise. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, and here's the thing. Who who's to say he doesn't go to Sega and Sega's like,
0: "Yeah, we hate Game Pass. We hate it. <laughs> By the way, we're going to need about $20 million more for exclusive Persona 6 on the console." You know, they yeah. just because they're saying it to his face doesn't mean they think it's true. But exactly. what I would say is that Jim Jim Ryan is not lying. <laughs> that doesn't mean <laughs> that somebody else isn't lying to Jim Ryan.
1: In my opinion. Just, very, just very, clear, possible. Clear, no, clear very possible. No, very possible. But But I think taking what is being said at face value, there is still clearly, and I think this is fair, Game Pass is still pretty new. Netflix wasn't necessarily a... It, Netflix was both positive and negative for its respective industries in many ways. And I think Game Pass is being looked at in very the same. How can it benefit us? How can a service like a subscription service benefit games, how, games and their production cost and the time it takes to make them? How can that benefit with something like this? How does it benefit with a more traditional model? And what's it look like? What's the in-between? Is it value destructive? Is there a positive that outweighs a negative? And so I think when you look at it that way, it's it's completely reasonable that a a, large function, a a large chunk of publishers, and I think it bears out in what publishers are actually actively dealing with anything on the service, that a large number of publishers don't see the value of Game Pass and probably mm-hmm. view it as something that's going to hurt their traditional market, at least until that market becomes so... Much like what happened with Netflix, and then I know we keep bringing that up, but it's a, or I keep bringing it up at least, but it's an important thing. Eventually, Netflix just continued to be its own thing until finally the market seemed big enough that everyone else was like, now we're going to break off and go into the, the streaming market. We're going to get a piece of that pie. And so at least until publishers are ready to go into that market in full-fledged in a big way, I think that this is something that publishers are looking at as – not necessarily an entirely net positive thing for the game industry, or at least for their pocketbook.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, it's funny, because last week we were talking about Xbox for the most part. We weren't having a debate. And I think if we'd had a debate, we would have maybe had more interesting conversations about stuff like this. Because to me, the way I interpreted the conversation last week was we were looking at it through a majority... Gamer lens, right? Like, and we
1: didn't. And you mean like the, consumer consumer, right?
0: Because I think the thing is, Game Pass has incredible value for consumers. Of course, but yeah. the point I brought up and that we didn't touch too much on was like, people can fly made no money. So for all mm-hmm. intents and purposes, they wasted like five years of their lives because they put the game on Game Pass and it never made money. But that that's again like it's a chicken and egg situation. Would the game have made any money without? being on game pass at all maybe not because you know the game is fine so who knows that it would have made money not being on game pass um it's it's you know you can't you can't know what you don't know what you don't know but it's very clear that there's some level of not being happy or not being able to make money and i think if you look on you know twitter and yes i will say this i've said it before and i'll say it again twitter is not real life but there mm-hmm. is a ton of stuff that you'll see of, well, I'll just wait for this on Game Pass. I'll wait. It's probably going to be on Game Pass. You know? And that that just boils back to me going, yeah, I'll wait for that to be on sale. It's the same argument except one of them involves spending money. And I don't think it's a bad thing. If you bought your Xbox, you're like, I'm never spending a dime. I'm just going to play Game Pass games for the rest of my life. That's dope. But that's clearly a loss of value for publishers in terms of bottom line the value of game pass is undeniable from a gamer's standpoint but from a publisher standpoint that it's become a a playstation fanboy talking point but it it's very clear that people don't buy games in the volume they would have before if that makes sense
1: yeah what i'd say is And I think I've said on the show before, and, you know, you bring up the thing like I played Devil's Advocate last week a little bit, too, with uh, Luke and saying that, like, you know, just because we're seeing publishers put games on there, how how reasonably can you say that it's not and, and we don't know the answer. So I'm not saying that it is one or the other, but there's still a there's a reasonable suspicion that anyone can make. That what Microsoft may continue to be doing, clearly what they're doing with Activision Blizzard, is spending a huge chunk of money in order to get content onto Game Pass. So that they continue to just get so much content that they push everyone to have to use Game Pass. And or force Sony and Nintendo to have to do a Game Pass like model, (laughs) which neither of those companies can afford to do since they don't have Microsoft's backing, therefore creating the position to be able to go into the front of the gaming industry, the streaming industry, uh, streaming game industry, and everything else. Um, And so I think when you look at it that way, there's completely reasonable aspects to be like, well, Capcom is putting it on there because Microsoft's writing them a check because we've seen that Microsoft is willing to write a check mm-hmm. in order to secure stuff. Much to Luke's point, Sony is also willing to write checks to to get stuff onto their service. But I think that one has got more value to the publisher because it still involves sales and one doesn't. So where I'm going with that is sometimes what's best for the consumer, and this sucks as a consumer sometimes, Right. Sometimes what's best for the consumer is bad for the business in which the consumer enjoys. So gaming, gaming is an entertainment form. It's also an art form. But when you look at it from the fact that if you want AAA games, and that's the type of gamer you are, and you want those to continue coming at a certain quantity and a certain level of viability – but you also don't want to spend any money because you want them all to eventually hit game pass. If that goes on completely unchecked forever, there's a chance who knows how big, but there is a chance that you break that part of the industry. I think no matter what indies will survive because indies can be distributed on PC and everything without needing a big publisher. But when you're looking at truly triple a games, you might be biting the hand that feeds by saying, I'm mm-hmm. gonna wait until this hits PS plus. I'm gonna wait until <clears throat> this hits Game Pass. I'm gonna wait till this hits whatever service it is that you're talking about at any given time. So uh, what what's that old saying? What's good for the goose isn't always good for the gander? I mean that's Yes, exactly. It, it's true. But it's it's I, it's very true. So
0: I think the last thing I wanna say on the Game Pass topic is just both sides of it. Aren't necessarily correct. Like I respect Lauren Landing and his opinion on Game Pass, right? But like it's also not a hundred percent correct because he was upset about, or um, he was upset about how it did on PlayStation and how it could have done better if it wasn't on there. But he's looking at how many people downloaded it. Now I can tell you that I would never have purchased Oddworld Soulstorm. But I did download it for free. So, you know, just to play devil's advocate for the other side of the argument is that also doesn't make sense. Him looking at, oh, well, we sold, you know, we got 20 million downloads on Oddworld on the first day. And we lost money because 20 million people had downloaded the game. I'd be a billionaire. It's like, sure but there's not a chance in hell that 20 million people were going to pay $40 for that game. You know that as well as I do. So, both sides I think sides he was really looking at weird.
1: it. Yeah, that's fair. I think he was honestly looking at it from a reasonable percentage. Okay, so if we got 20 million downloads, well if 5 million of those people had bought the game, we'd be doing a lot better than we currently are. And uh, I mean that's true, but that's the uh, it's exactly eh. what we talk about with people can fly and and outriders going and it wasn't their decision because it you know they just signed a deal with square to make a game and square said yeah we're going to put your game on game pass and so we can't really but but the the reality of it is is they signed a deal with square and then square did what they wanted to with their game because they're the ones publishing it and owning the ip most likely so in that sense it's just people can fly getting you know reaping what they sowed not that they deserve it necessarily or not that it's not unfortunate but it's just the reality of where this is same thing's true of lauren landing and and Mm -hmm. the odd world situation it's like yeah it sucks that you feel like there's a version of this where you could have done better but the truth is is that you know you'll never know because you signed a deal and now you're just having to reap that like unless you sign that deal being held at gunpoint then the conversation changes, but it's unlikely that <laughs> that's what happened, you know? So, yeah, I
0: highly doubt it. Though,
1: honestly, if there's a version of Sony going door to door to indie studios, like indie developers, and just fucking uh pulp fictioning them, where like they just walk in and be like, I said sign, motherfucker what do you I mean say what again <laughs> you know that would be great uh, we're on ps plus extra with cheese baby <laughs> so you're telling me we have all this ai stuff now we can put other people's faces on other things and you're telling me no one has thought to have it to where they just take that scene and have like john travolta be replaced by <laughs> fucking jim ryan
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's phil spencer and lena khan <laughs>
1: that'd also be funny they redo blank check that disney movie and they just (laughs) phil spencer runs into a developer's bike and he just hands him a blank check and was like just fill that out and uh we'll put your game on game pass (laughs) yeah
0: we do one that's about xbox game studios but it's just all of 13 going on 30
1: (coughs) (laughs) all right brett hit me with the next one baby Next piece of news here is a little bit different. It's in a Square Enix roundtable discussion about the 35th anniversary of the Final Fantasy series. Yoshinori Katase said that many people in the studio want to remake Final Fantasy VI. Still, he says that he can't even think about that until Final Fantasy VII's remake is finally finished. And you may remember that the third part is currently in development, but it's coming well after the already... What six to eight month out, maybe longer, (laughs) pre birth. (laughs) So yeah, if we get uh, a Final
0: Fantasy six remake, that's got to be what twenty thirty, at minimum. It's gonna be like my kid's first game. For being
1: honest, (laughs) like we'll be we'll be lucky. We'll be lucky if we get the third part of Final Fantasy seven by twenty six. You know that's the depressing thing about how long games take to make is
0: like, I can expect maybe. 5 more Witcher games while I'm sentient. <laughs> you know, one more GTA while I'm sentient. <laughs> GTA you know, 6 and GTA 7 and then I think
1: I'm good for GTA 8. Like <laughs> Have you ever have you ever thought about the fact that gaming is so different now because since development takes so long, you no longer grow up with a character like you used to. Have you ever thought about that? Like, even movies. Like, you know, like Indiana Jones up until the very long hi- hiatus before they got to Crystal Skull. And then the equally long, if not longer, hiatus before the newest one that's about to come out. Like Dial if of you're, Destiny. Like, you you grew up with Indiana Jones. You grew up with Star Wars. There was one every year or two. You know, like you, you got one consistently. And then for us, like, we grew up on Uncharted. Like, I think we mm-hmm. love Nathan Drake because we grew up. We had – we got to see – five iterations of Drake across, you know, eight years. Yeah. And now we're getting to a point where you have two iterations of Aloy in ten years and two iterations of Kratos is you know, depending on who where you came in for Kratos, it's a little different. Daddy but you know, Kratos. like if if, if twenty eighteen was your first God of War and then you had to wait four years, which is actually not bad for modern industry for Ragnarok, and now you're gonna have to wait who knows how long for another one. It's like I don't think that gamers get to grow up with characters and stories and franchises in the same way that we did in gaming. Now, conversely, that might be why call of duty is doing so well because you are growing up with the series. There's a new one that's constantly in the mainstream topic and, and love. And then secondarily movies and TV shows more than ever. Like if everyone's growing up with star Wars right now, because they won't, go a fucking week without making a new Star Wars project. And I mean, like, for people who love Star Wars, that's cool. But you know, it's like, it's so weird that gaming is the complete opposite. You know, we talk about tech and how it can slow things down, and yet movies and shows still seem to be moving at breakneck pace, getting out, and yet we're waiting five, six, seven full console generations without a new entry in some of the gaming's most important series, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, dude, Final Fantasy sixteen. You can argue that Final Fantasy 7 counts, but it's a remake. It's a little different. If we take it away, we, uh, we went from Final Fantasy 15 in 2017, if I recall. 2016. And Final Fantasy 16 just came out. That's crazy.
0: Yeah. It's taking too long. Bring the cycles down, man. Smaller game. <laughs>
1: I am curious how long they actually worked on final fantasy 16 because of the fact that it's really linear. Like everything I've done so far is really linear. And I say that with love kind of like when you were playing, um, what was that game? Chris, you're going to have to remind me right now. Weird West, evil West. One of those two evil West. Yeah. Evil West. There's a lot of games with West in the title that came out, but it's like the entire time you were playing that you're like, yes, yeah, linear. It's fucking awesome.
0: Yeah, it is.
1: So, throwing that out there. So I like them. I I would love to see that Final (laughs) Fantasy Sixteen start a development when they announced it for the PlayStation Five. Like that year, that wouldn't be that bad if that game took three years to make. No, Uh, but. We're moving on to the next piece of news. And this one, Chris, I'm a little curious to see your thoughts on because you're already a kind of digital champion, I would say. So Remedy recently stated that on top of the value of being able to offer the game at $60 instead of the now standard $70, Alan Wake 2 will also be opting for digital only due to its ability to help them hit their intended release date while allowing them more time to polish the game since a gold master... Is not necessary to produce for a digital release. So that means instead of having to get a version of the game onto a disc, you know, a month before your time so they can be product, uh, produced and shipped and then work on a day one update, they can just work on the game up until the week of release, more or less. Um, and this. I don't know. There's been a lot of digital versus uh, physical conversation happening on the uh, interwebs this week. Uh, actually, I, I had a tweet of more or less my stance. I've been saying on the show that we don't, we shouldn't be quick to kick physical out of the door just because we prefer digital, some of us, because physical still acts as a good balance to the flip side of the more limited nature of digital in some ways. Um, and that blew up. But I wonder... Some of it I know is because of games that are changing things and being like, yeah, we're going to update it and you won't be able to play the original version of that game like that Skullgirls or whatever the game is called. Uh, There's some other stuff going on. But yeah, that's been a big topic of debate is physical versus digital. And we've talked about that a lot on this show. But what do you think specifically about the fact that digital does offer you the ability to work on a game up until release as opposed to having to stop in order to make physical media? I mean, this sounds like bullshit to me. (laughs) You think so?
0: Yeah, because, you know, obviously it depends on the game, but there's definitely been a couple times where you've seen the, oh, our game went gold tweet like two weeks before the game came out. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: I can't be convinced that that two weeks worth of work is going to get you from day one patch to no day one patch. I just don't believe that. It's not what they're think, saying,
1: but it's definitely what they're hinting. It's the subtext.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, all they're saying is that we can work on it until eleven fifty nine Eastern on release date. And then, sure. You 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 can well
1: but, you still have to send a version in for you know for certification for each price. Right. So you like you still have to stuff. send a version. Some build has to go to Sony for them to say, Yeah, we approve of this to hit the store. You can't do that at eleven fifty nine the day before. You know what I no, mean? No, I, I think so to, me, to, this, to your point, I do think there's a level of you're still having to put a build out yeah. to send to the, people for and then say it, but but we're also still working on a better version of that build. Continue. Yeah, this to me just feels
0: like they gave the reason, and the reason was it's cheaper for us, it's cheaper for you. Which makes us more competitive. It makes us more competitive. The problem with that is people are used to paying $60. So it doesn't feel like you're saving anyone any money. If they'd come out and been like Alan Wake digital only 49.99 on console, I think there would be very little controversy. There'd obviously be some of the like, oh I want all my games physical and oh digital, you know, all the stuff yeah, people sure. are arguing about. Totally fine. But the I don't think the money saving aspect of it resonates with people, it doesn't resonate with me, and I don't mind the decision because I'm used to paying sixty dollars. You're not saving me money in my head, you know. So yeah, it's it's kind of the same philosophy as why stuff is 1999 instead of twenty dollars because it feels like less. And this doesn't feel like less. This feels like the same amount, right? Paying seventy dollars is
1: still so fresh,
0: right? And paying seventy dollars doesn't feel like I'm. You know, it doesn't feel like I'm paying the new norm, it feels like I'm paying ten dollars more for a sixty dollar game, and that's that's just going to be the perception until 70 becomes the norm with everything, and then bam, we just saved you ten bucks. All right, cool, but right now, that's not the norm, you know. A lot of publishers still haven't adopted it, you know a lot of games that come you I would have to imagine if we did the, if we had the data more games come out at 60 than come out at 70 at the current moment because there's not a lot of games coming out just for next-gen consoles so that $10 savings, you mean there,
1: there's a lot of games that are still coming out with a $60 version even if they also have a $70 version I was just saying, like a blanket. I will be willing to bet
0: sixty dollars has been the the best. Still has more been the price for most games. So, so it, it
1: sounds like you're kind of saying that what Alan Wake or what Remedy were hoping for with Alan Wake 2's announcement is that it would be viewed kind of like when Sony said Ratchet and Clank will be forty dollars when games were sixty, and correct. Or, you know Sly Cooper, Sly Cooper: Thieves in Time will be forty when games were standard sixty at that point, and then yeah. the jump felt like, oh, okay, yeah.
0: Right, exactly. So I, I kind of get we, what
1: you mean. We haven't gotten
0: to a point where, oh shit, I'm paying sixty dollars for my video game feels like I'm paying less money. Well, I th- I've know, paid for being seventy dollars like four times, if that.
1: Like <laughs> four. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel. Well, that way. You also overpay for other things, right? Like you you pay more than seventy for because you wanted the watch and the different things for Starfield, or you wanted the collector's edition for Resident Evil Four. You know what I mean? It's like oh, you're also used to paying more than seventy. But Resident Evil 4
0: launched at 60. Put, so, with that,
1: yeah, you're right. You're right. So, with all that in mind, though, um, I think one of the things that's interesting is I don't think it's gonna launching to for free. the <laughs> average consumer. I don't think the average consumer probably thinks of it this way. But for the people who are having the conversations on online uh, or on the internet, I think that it would come down to most of us can just tell that this is really just remedy, not wanting to spend money up front for the. Again, like if you find someone to publish it or you not to publish it but to distribute it uh, much like you know CD Projekt Red always ends up using WB for like The Witcher. The Witcher was uh, distributed by WB on consoles and any disc version. So When you think of that way it's like all that's happening here is that they're not one to spend any money up front to produce copies when the scary part of producing anything physical someone who has gotten CDs made for your band is you always want to make sure that you have enough but you ne- you always are trying to minimize how many extra copies will just eventually not get sold or will have to get sold at the you know for discount because they hit the discount bin to get rid of the stock, and as someone who can tell you, I ordered like a hundred more CDs than I needed. And I think I still have like 50 of the CD that we put out because <laughs> it's just the nature of physical is that it's so hard to gauge the demand that you tend to want to go above, but you're scared that you will have to spend more money that you won't see you know recuperated and you have to spend money out of the door. Whereas if all you're doing is putting a, you know something out digitally, you're only, you're paying when they pay you and you're not even paying. They're just saying, Hey, yeah, we sold your game for you. We're just going to take 30% of that. And then here's right. your money. Like you're not having to spend out of pocket, so that's really what's happening. And they're just trying to find a way to PR spend it for everybody else. Like, look, we're that's, saving you guys ten dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It feels
0: it feels like Which, a lot of this. Good is Good for PR them spent. if that's
1: what they want. Good for them. You know, it's like I don't care. Well, that's the thing. Just be like,
0: we we're going digital only. That's our decision. I'm sorry if you know, you're upset. You
1: know, you, you know what you say is, we are one of the few independent developer still in existence that is making triple A-ish games that is yeah. not owned by a publisher or whatever. And yeah. so we do not want to run the risk of having to spend money up front. But you know, it's always about the spin. It's always about the spin. In a weird way, I almost wonder if Remedy just really came out and was like, guys, we're independent. We're putting this game out without having to worry about anybody else. Uh, and as such, we want to make sure that we minimize the cost on us for things that aren't necessary, so we're choosing to forego physical. I think people would rally behind them, actually. I think people would be like, yeah, because then, then your messaging is they're independent. They're not controlled by anybody. Nobody's got their hands telling yeah, them what they can and can't do.
0: I've always been a person who, if, you know, if the president did a press conference and was like, we're going to war because I don't like that guy's fucking shirt. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> Like, genuinely. Like, that's a shitty reason, but I would prefer that to WMDs in Iraq. So, like, it's the same thing here, where I would prefer you just go, we just don't want to fucking make discs, Then be like, well, we're saving you $10, and we got an extra two weeks to do edits, and that just to me is just like, dog, don't lie to me. It's like I tell my staff at work, right? If I call you on your day off to come in for a shift, and you tell me that your dog is sick and your sister's shoes don't fit, so you have to go to the store with her and your car exploded and it's just spaghetti. I'm going to be more annoyed with you than if you just go, it's my day off and I don't want to come in. Right? Just tell me the truth. Because I don't want to be at work anymore than you do. I was going to ask I think you've got the so. answer.
1: <laughs> I think you've given the answer, but I was going to ask, do you feel like the only real reason this has been stated was because the reception to the initial announcement 100%. of digital only wasn't, wasn't met with online acclaim. Yeah, 100%, because this sounds nice. Oh, we have so much more time to work.
0: But if you know the industry well enough, you know, yeah, sure, some games go gold a month, two months early, sometimes a year early. I think the closest sometimes I've game, seen is like game, two, two and minutes. a half
1: weeks. Right, Yeah.
0: exactly. So until you tell me, well, we're going to be able to go quote-unquote gold this year but the next six months are polished up until release i'd be like okay sure but without any of those details this just sounds like oh they didn't really like that ten dollar off excuse we got to find another one
1: when this game is still going to have a day one patch because all games you know what is interesting though it was right before they actually went gold um but apparently like like four weeks before god of war was supposed to go gold um Maybe three weeks. The I think it may have been Shuhei. I can't remember which one of them, but they were like, "This game's in trouble." It's like most of what's supposed to be working is just not working correctly. And in three weeks, they were able to get the game to the award-winning, almost problem-free game that we actually oh, got. So, at so you're talking
0: about The Last of Us, and how if they
1: hadn't <laughs> delayed it, the game would have been like a seven. I think they said,
0: and then they delayed it and fixed it, kept working on it, and it's, now it's a ten.
1: Yeah. It's interesting to see, but it's like even then, because, you know, they were real iffy on putting a date on God of War, and they did the same thing with Ragnarok. We're only giving you a date like a month out, but even at the point that they gave a date, the game was apparently really rocky, and they were like, yeah, we don't know, but we, we've got to put a date on it. we got to put an end date eventually, Yeah, uh, and it and it rallied together and worked, but, you know, you, you think that's got to be the exception, probably not the rule. <laughs> no, definitely not. Well, you know, shout out to Santa Monica for apparently being able to turn a, re- turn a game completely around to being a 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, game of the generation, multiple accolades. That's got to feel good. Yeah, Unless you know. just like crunched your life away and you're <laughs> like, I don't fucking care. No accolade is worth it. <laughs> I don't know. Um All right, a couple more pieces of news, and then we're going to get into the questions. So we have Sony's fledgling pursuit of the mobile market has produced a wipeout game they barely mentioned and the acquisition of a mobile-specific publisher in Savage Games. That pursuit has hit a huge roadblock as Nicolas Sebastiani has left the company after two years of running the division. Now, Chris is the one who wrote this news piece, and I'm going to assume that – Nicola Sebastiani is the one who was at Sony leading the mobile division at Sony. Sorry. Or yes. He was Jason the head Savage. of Sony mobile. That's what I thought. I no, I recognized the name. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. You know, we've seen a few games come out of that. We, there was a, a <coughs> sackboy run game that's come. Um, I think there's, you know, wild arms got some phone games, weirdly enough. Like there's some I odd no usage IP that Sony's used for their mobile games across the years. Um, but I don't think we've seen anything too too big from this. Uh, you no. know, I was looking at this uh, this video that was kind of recounting Nintendo's history and how many times they've gone up and down and been worried about going out of business and and whatnot. And um, apparently, the the whole reason that Mario Run exists for phones is because the Wii U did so bad they were like and the 3ds was winding down that they were like we've got to put something on the phone just so we have a way to make money in case our next console shits the bed like this may be our last bet with the switch and thankfully it didn't come down to that but it is interesting to see um because just a little history piece for anyone john carmack uh of its software and now of course oculus and meta meta as it is now john carmack he started at a company in Shreveport about an hour from where I'm at. uh, Wow. Where he found ways to handle 3d acceleration and whatnot in games on computers when computers were not made for that consoles were back in that time. And so to prove that they had figured out a way to get tiles to move continuously on PC with some new technique that he developed for it, they remade Mario on PC and sent it to Nintendo to ask them if they would pay them and published the PC version and Nintendo said that they will never have Nintendo games on non-Nintendo platforms. And then we see Nintendo get so desperate that they release Mario Run and Pokemon Go and all those different things just because they were unsure if Switch was going to land. Kind of wild. yeah. It It's interesting, that's for sure. Do you think Sony know. will have an actual hit mobile game at any time soon?
0: No. Because I don't think they'll, they'll ever fully integrate PSN and give people a reason beyond the game to play it. I know that sounds so shitty. But
1: you know, do you I think can't the mobile s- crowd cares about that? I'm I'm being thrilled. Do you really think the mobile crowd cares? The mobile crowd they're they're aiming for. Well, I
0: feel like no, but they're not making mobile crowd games. That wipeout game is built to is not built to appeal to this. This is the worst. This is the only way I can think of saying this. But base level gamers, right? My mom has no interest in a wipeout game. Of course, she likes Candy Crush. But that's not so. The market that Sony is going for with the titles they're releasing is like us,
1: and I'm not. Well, you know, playing. Like Squares had a lot of uh, Squares had a lot of success on mobile. And mm-hmm. that's with JRPG. So Sony says, we're going to make Wild Arms. We're going to do that, uh, which is a JRPG. Uh, you know, Temple Run was such a big fad for a while. And, and you had that going. And so there's been a lot of endless runners on console and phone, of course. And so you have Run Sackboy Boy Run, which is an endless runner Sackboy game. And I think part of it is that no matter what, mo- Sony feels like they've been chasing trends on mobile instead of 100%. ever setting them. And 100%. I think that's where their disconnect is. Whereas you, they set but, trends on console, that's yeah, the difference, right?
0: But you are also not doing anything interesting, you know. I, yeah. it, you know, I am a huge Marvel Snap fan, and it would not be that difficult to take Marvel Snap and make, I don't know, PlayStation Cross. And it takes it's a card game of all PlayStation characters. Third party cards could be in there. You know what I mean, and that would be a really interesting way to use the mobile market, but instead you're getting run Sack Boy Run fifteen years too late. If that had come out to compete with Temple Run in two thousand and eight when Goddamn Obama was in office, yeah, that might have been super interesting. but we're three presidents be or two presidents beyond that now. you know what I mean? so you're you have to do something interesting. And there's nothing interesting well, going up,
1: and not that I disagree with you that that could work. But at the same point, is that not still just chasing a trend? And what's the difference? Is it just yes, at least a more modern trend? N- n- what I'm trying, what I was trying to say is, you can chase trends, but you have to chase them well. Well, and you have to chase them in a, in a timely manner. That is absolutely true. Because well, part of what I, we're seeing with all like the battle royale stuff is like when the battle royale trend was happening. Everybody started popping them out after you had three ones kind of cement themselves and dominate themselves into the place. And then you have like Ubisoft. And you never know. I mean, just like with all things, the chase for the next big thing always happens. I I remember the time when every MMO for like 10 years after World of Warcraft came out, every MMO was the next big thing. It was, we're going to kill... Warcraft. We're going to be the game that finally surpasses Warcraft's subscriber count of 12 million at their peak or whatever, which is insane numbers, truly, for a monthly subscription that you already have bought the game on, too. So, point being is that yeah, everybody chases trends, and everybody wants there to be a trends chase because you want there to be the next big thing in that genre or that style of game. Uh, and I think a lot of the times it's just people coming too late with too little. So, like you said, you got to chase trends Well, but you've also got to chase them in a time where people are wanting that trend to be chased. Sometimes you've got to give trends a break. It's really weird how sometimes trends come back. Well, I
0: I think actually I agree with you, but I do think in a lot of ways stuff like Marvel Snap does prove that you can chase a trend. And as long as you do it well, it doesn't matter. still find success. Because Marvel card games go back to the fucking 80s, dog. Magic the Gathering is old as shit.
1: Even if you want to go mobile, Hearthstone is the one that brought mobile card gaming to the forefront. Yeah, but then you got stuff,
0: you have to find your own pocket, right? And Marvel Snap might not appeal to someone who doesn't give a shit about superheroes, even though that's a bad take. But um, the PlayStation hardcore audience is not going to, you know, I don't think they'll necessarily turn away from a a card game based on PlayStation IP or a well-made PlayStation Battle Royale. You know, that kind of thing.
1: I've, I've, I've got the answer as to why they don't do Marvel Snap yet, but why they might do Marvel Snap in the long run.
0: Because they Hear did play for Fortune and it sucked.
1: <laughs> it's not even that. It's that no matter what, their IP is still rather limited to mostly gaming crowd. Now, Mm -hmm. not necessarily core gaming, but mostly console gaming crowd, right? It's found weird successes like The Last of Us, even before the TV show, that kind of broke outside of that and found new audience. Um, But for the most part, they're known in the gaming capacity. But what are they doing right now? And what are they arguably doing successfully right now, at least so far with the projects they've had? They're taking all their IP. And putting it out there to where it can become known to an audience that not, is not necessarily familiar with gaming enough to know these IP, but they can start to. And where I'm getting at that is Marvel Snap can come movies. out because comics got people into it and eventually TV shows got people into Marvel. And then the MCU got people into Marvel at such a scale for the casual audience that the phone game has got a huge potential base from v- fans of various degrees and levels and various years can come in. What Sony needs right now is to get their IP in front of the mobile crowd who are maybe more casual, who don't know it, who don't play console as much. And so, what they're doing right now is that they're making The Last of Us TV show, which breaks records and even Mm -hmm. has people like my mom watching The Last of Us. (laughs) And then they're making The Uncharted movie, which, even though I had problems with, did incredibly well. Did incredibly well for them. so, <laughs> uh, but it did, inc- it did incredibly well <laughs> for them and it probably expanded a lot of people who didn't know of Uncharted in any real way prior to that. So, mm-hmm. if the Gran Turismo movie does well and the God of War series does well and the Horizon series does well and Twisted Metal by some weird sense ends up doing well, then they can say hey, you know all these characters that you've been becoming familiar with? Here you go. And then they could do the same thing that the MCU did where you start introducing niche characters within that and people will start learning about IP that are within your subdivision where like most people didn't know about Guardians of the Galaxy. That was a pretty niche comic. And now Guardians of the Galaxy is like one of the biggest movies of this year, the third one. Um, I agree with you. You know? but my experience
0: with the snap community says that if the game is good, they will play because
1: I mean, that's be, definitely
0: part of it. You would be shocked at the amount of like, and this is a very niche audience where I watch like four Marvel snap creators. Right. But mm-hmm. the common thread between all of them is I just started watching the MCU because I got into snap. So while what you're saying is how you get a big audience, you get, you get just as much of an audience by while wow, this game is good I really like the Joel card. Why don't I play The Last of Us? Wow, this Aloy card has some really cool utility, and I love playing this deck archetype. I'm going to play Horizon. That should
1: be the cycle, though, right? Because if we're being honest, the reason that it's able to find new audience with people who just like the game is because it's so big and has enough people to where. Everyone kind of knows what Marvel is, even if you don't know a lot. You kind of know it. It's on the fringe of your knowledge. Like, you know, I don't know a ton about Mario, but I know that Mario exists. Mm -hmm. And that helps. And then if someone is playing a game and they're like, bro, this game's really good. And you're kind of like, well, I at least know conceptually what this is. Yeah, I'll I'll try it out. And then you're like, holy shit, the game's fun. Then, So you want it to be big enough known that enough people are playing it so that they can tell people. And then those people who may not have been interested in it start playing the game, realize the game is well made, and then also find the cycle of getting into the games. And then the flip side of that is for people who are already into the thing, then they're just getting into it. They're, they're downloading the game because they're like, yeah, I love Marvel. I want to try a card, mm-hmm. card game with Marvel. Let's, I'll, yeah, I'll give it a absolutely. try.
0: Yeah, I mean, in the end, we're, like, we're going a little bit in circles, but I do think in the end,
1: if they want to capture the mobile division, make something cool. Success. They got to do something. I, I'm real curious, and then I want to. We'll, we'll move on past the, the mobile thing. But you know, Microsoft keeps talking about how part of their um, part of their strategy for acquisition is to expand in the mobile by just buying an already dominant and successful mobile publisher, and King, uh, alongside Activision Blizzard. Do you think Microsoft will actually make a really big, successful mobile app without an acquisition, or do you think that they'll find themselves similar to Sony, to where their games are coming out? They're maybe they're doing all right; they justify their existence, but they're not hitting the numbers that any of them want.
0: It's a weird question because King has Candy Crush, so it's our right. it's going to make them look like they're fine, regardless. I don't know. Well, I'm I, saying like I,
1: if Activision doesn't go through, right? Let's say for some reason Activision's blocked, it can't happen. They they stop it, they drop the Activision merger, but they still are like, well we're trying to get into the phone game. Do you think that they can find partner or build studios to go ahead and do this? Th- this might be the Short hottest of acquisition take. this might be the hottest take i
0: i make on this show but i personally would put more faith in microsoft to make an interesting mobile game than i would sony
1: i do too but for one reason hmm. They already make games as a service, primarily like we talked about with Luke last week. Almost all of their games that are hitting Game Pass are games that have service elements, which are very important to mobile games, and they already have that design language within them. Sony does not have a big history of making that type of game. So Sony's having to not only make a good game, but know how to actually put those elements in. Bungie is the saving grace of why Sony might be able to pull it off if Bungie's overseeing also their mobile division. But then your question becomes, how much bandwidth does Bungie have? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, it's we we've seen emails this week about how communication seems to be kind of poor with uh, with Microsoft, and I don't mean that poor. I don't mean that in a a derogatory way, uh, or I'm not trying to go you know get at them. But what I mean is, the larger that you get and the bigger that you become, the less bandwidth you have to manage everything properly. So when you're seeing emails from Pete Hines being like, "We're Microsoft, not going to tell us that." They're about to come out and say that Activision games will still be third party and will release on all consoles. When they didn't do that with us, and how that might impact out us whenever they talk to us and interview us and Todd, and you know, it's a good I question. Would, it's a great question. Yeah. So the, I, I, you kind of we've come kind of
0: moved to a different piece of news here, quick, but I will say I would be fascinated to see where Bethesda would have gone if Microsoft stayed true to the we're separate entities. They're the publisher like i'm sure I'm, microsoft would step in and be like you got to make some exclusives but i wouldn't be shocked if something like starfield still had come out on ps5
1: oh i think if you read pete's emails i definitely yeah. think that's well, partially cuz no one wants to have put money and time and effort into something that they're not going to be able to publish now and the mm-hmm. reality is is that starfield had a significant amount of playstation 5 development done
0: i'm oh, i'm sure, I'm sure it's, uh, it's i'm sure if they spent another year they could have a playstation Version, which is interesting,
1: will but
0: you know, you know, maybe a timed launch, and then there's your PS5 version. Have fun, peasants. Pay six (laughs) seventy (laughs) dollars. We'll
1: see, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not banking anything on that right now.
0: You know, once Game Pass comes to PlayStation,
1: it'll be there. You keep saying that, Chris. We'll see if that ever comes true. Final piece of news here. Recently, rumors of a PlayStation-exclusive title from People Can Fly, who we've been talking about this episode, began to swirl after leaked footage of a game hit the internet. The game was a third-person sci-fi game that insiders had dubbed Gears of Effect, of course, playing on Gears of War and Mass Effect. That could be in doubt, however, as, thanks again to the FTC... We found out that Microsoft has contracted a game from the studio. Project Maverick will have a 30 to $50 million budget. The publisher and studio pairing has also produced 2013 Scares of War Judgment in the past. So this wouldn't be the first time that um, Microsoft has worked with People Can Fly. Now, here's the interesting thing. Hmm. The game industry is fickle. Gears of Effect could have been a thing, and it could have been canceled. And just because it was never officially revealed, we've never heard anything of it. Uh it could still be going. Or it could still be going and this could still be working. Or somehow, some way, Gears of Effect, as it was being called, <laughs> was never actually anything to do with Sony and it was just mixed reporting. Do you have a gut feeling as to which of these three you think it was? Um, the fourth one which is Gears of Effect was never a
0: people-can-fly game.
1: <laughs> so if that still comes down to mixed reporting, so who do you think would have been making what we saw? Because I will say, and it makes sense as to the way the rumor mill works, and maybe it was someone influenced by the fact that they said it was people-can-fly, but there was an undeniable outriders look, and honestly a people-can-fly look, to what we saw of that Gears yeah, of Effect teaser there was so who do you think it would be if it wasn't People Can Fly do you think that there's a dev in Pocket that you think would be making something stylistically so similar that would fool you into going yeah I could see People Can Fly making that
0: um, I th- I'm 75% sure I'm right on the studio name but Flying Wild Hog <laughs>
1: Flying Wild Hog. Why does that sound familiar?
0: Evil Dead, Evil West, uh, Way of the oh, Samurai. Yeah.
1: I will give you that. Shadow Warrior as well. Um, yes. Yes. Evil West does have a decidedly Unreal Engine 3 look, which if I'm mm-hmm. being honest, it's kind of the look that I'm talking about for, for People Can Fly yeah. because their first game was Bulletstorm, Unreal 3 game. Great they, game. of course, made uh, Gears of Judgment, which has the same Unreal Engine style look that the industry Great has come game. to know. And they kind of have kept that. And I remember the first time I saw Evil West, I thought, "Huh, this looks a lot like an Unreal Engine game." Mm -hmm. And I know that there's no reason for that to be because there's a lot of Unreal Engine games that don't look like that anymore. Like that's that's a weird stereotype from a different age. Uh, But yeah, that'd be interesting.
0: My my thing is like I don't. I think if that game is coming, and I think it's clearly a Sony game because I think that was the whole backing of it, and people can fly was a speculation um i don't see this being something that sony would be okay with because if all rumors are true that's a live service game so do you really think that sony is going to sign a live service game with people can fly and also be like yeah you guys can you know support this while you work on an xbox game to me that just sounds like too much uh what's the word i can't think of the uh the nomenclature but you know do it, it Sony would have to be like are you spending our money on this or are you spending our money on this and i don't know i couldn't see it really working out
1: one thing that has become really clear from the ABK FTC uh, hearing is just how much information about each other and how much fighting between the two companies happens in the background that I think we could have always guessed. But I think seeing it firsthand has been kind of interesting, seeing the emails, the little weird pot shots, how much money each one throws at different things, where different ones acquisition mindsets came into, how much of them kind of lined up. Like where it, there's, you know, Bungie was apparently at one point being looked at to be purchased again by Microsoft, uh, and if I'm not mistaken, I saw that they were also looking at getting um, Sega. Uh, well, not but but one that Sony acquired. Um, Returnal developer, uh, House oh, Mark. Housemark. Yeah. yeah, so that would have been. It's a hell interesting. Of it's interesting to see. So, uh, and you got to wonder know. if
0: Sony bought Housemark at the time or accelerated talks with Bungie. Or said, sure, your games can be can go on third-party platforms because they knew about this.
1: Ding, ding, ding. I think that you have the answer for Bungie. I think Bungie already knew what they wanted. They wanted to be able to continue releasing. And I'm pretty sure Microsoft's version of it was, we'll buy you again and your games will become exclusive again. Like Destiny 2 can continue in perpetuity. But if you make something new, it's going to be on Xbox only. Yeah, uh, And I think... That and probably Sony's extra, like, hey, we're also going to give you money to ask, like, to retain, to get your employees to hopefully stay. Like, we're going to be like, hey, if you stay, you get even more money. You know, it's like, yeah, that that retainer pay is a really interesting idea that I'm surprised that I don't think we've seen in much other acquisitions. And maybe it just wasn't highlighted in other ones, but I don't think it just
0: wasn't highlighted.
1: Yeah. It's so an interesting I, idea because, really, at the end of the day, buying a studio. But if that studio doesn't really want to be owned, and so if most of the people decide to leave, well, why'd you buy the studio to begin with? Then you just get right, you've got a exactly. name without the workforce. And, well, it's, and what value been, is Bungie without the people who made the game?
0: Right, exactly, and clearly not much because three four three is doing awesome over there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was low. <laughs> um, well, look at the Metacritic. I'm not too far behind. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's just interesting. Like all the stuff coming out has been interesting. It's interesting to see that stuff. I don't know. I just think clearly, Bungie got bought by Sony because they were willing to pay less but let the games be exclusive that's what i wonder like was microsoft like we'll give you five billion but you're exclusive so he's like we'll give you 3.26 and you can release third party you know at some point i'm sure they're looking at it like you know
1: we we make that money off destiny skins so let's just let's just stay third party well, and I'd imagine some amount of Destiny's employ, uh, higher end people, are people that remember them and were around during the Microsoft owned mm-hmm. days. And if one of the things that you may not remember is that they wanted creative freedom that they felt like Microsoft was not offering them. Yeah. and I think that what might have, what part of it may have just been, no matter what Microsoft says, we've been there before, and there's no reason for us to think that they won't repeat the same way that they were with us last time. Sometimes they say the devil you know is better than the devil you don't but sometimes the devil you know pushes you towards something that you don't because you're just like i'd never again on that mm-hmm. so it's it's an interesting thing because i think it's a, a fair argument to say that microsoft of today is not the microsoft of 2007 whenever bungie originally announced they were splitting like you know they they made reach in 2010 that was the last halo game but they were already split off by then yeah you know they, they were, were just, just contracted for four mm-hmm. right two or three maybe I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was it was ODST and and Reach. So yeah, they they didn't work on anything past that. So it, it is weird, but uh, yeah, the 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 problem with this is that Twitter makes all these things uh, this back and forth. And don't I'm wrong, I have opinions on things I'm seeing and reading. But at the end of the day, this is the first time in months that there's been anything truly interesting come from this from the merger. Right, and it is. Exactly. It's like in the purest sense of the <clears> word. <throat> I read almost everything and I'm like that's 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 weird. Okay, that's interesting. This is seeing a little bit of the back end of some of these companies that they really don't want anyone to see. Yeah. But the I upside that. is is that the majority of the the majority of what's being shown that may even paint either company looking bad is not really going to end up trickling down into the most casual of audience that makes up the majority of either sales, but it's still not something you want out
0: realistically no.
1: you mean, always and, want to keep all these things hidden
0: and the thing is memories are short right because i got into a little twitter thing where i was talking where we were having a discussion about you know this guy had tweeted or well, like oh sony's holding back the industry and i was just like how and he's talking about backwards compatibility or not backwards compatibility but crossplay and then you know we're having this whole argument and then it just ends up like you realize that microsoft was the first one saying no correct like <laughs> so it's just well, we've, memories we've been there, short. done
1: that with yeah yeah it is and That's all it is. Yeah, it's it goes back to the the the, the victor always writes the history mm-hmm. and no one thinks about the ps3 and xbox 360 era when sony was pushing for cross play because it would have helped them at the time um and Microsoft like, no, we're we're in first place. Why would we give you benefits from us? Right. And then, whoa, look, the table turns. PlayStation's back on top, and now Microsoft is trying. Hey, let people play games with our people, please. No, right. you know, Microsoft it is, it was is much funny.
0: more heavy-handed about it too, and they were being kind of dicks. And it's like, just look at the history, dog.
1: We tried. You said no. It's really now interesting. we're winning. Because there's a version of history where who knows if it would have ever actually made it. But RuneScape was considering coming to consoles in the 360 PS3 era. And their only stipulation was that the game would have to be cross-play with the PC version and the PS, PC, PS3 Xbox 360 version. And the That's only crazy. reason that it never got off the ground past that was because Microsoft, Microsoft said, said no. no. <laughs> yeah. So, uh and as we know with all things, uh, I mean, memories are short in a lot of ways because a lot of what Xbox had gotten so much booze and concerns about, kind of like what Luke was saying, a lot of the industry is doing exactly what everyone booed Microsoft for in 2013. Yeah. But now we're it's here true. and it's it's changed a little bit, but everybody was like, I can't let my friend borrow my game. This is asinine. And now everybody's just buying digital games, which you can't let anybody do shit with. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. I don't. I don't <laughs> let
0: people play my games.
1: Oh, you know, want illegal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually know if it's illegal, but it's definitely against their rules. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's Sony PR Jim Rod, If you're listening me. to this, <laughs> call me about our PlayStation card game.
1: There you go. There you go. Uh, all right. Question that time, wraps that God. up. It's question time, baby boy. Uh, first question comes from No Fate, long time listener, long time patron. He says, "Which game has the best ending?" This is a rough question. He says, "But if you're worried about talking spoilers, how about best final boss battle?" I will tell you, best ending is very hard to do without talking spoilers. But I think I can conceptually lay out what makes some of the strongest endings, in my opinion. But Chris, we'll see if you have. Uh, if you have a game in mind that kind of lands for you. Because it's interesting that he says, if not the ending final boss battle, but, you know, I'd almost argue some games with the best endings don't even have Correct. boss
0: battles. Uh, <laughs> my answer is Persona 5. And I can say for Persona people, you understand. What happens in the area where you start the game at the end of the game? I texted my friend, what the actual fuck and it paid off incredibly well. So Persona Five has the best ending I've ever played in the game.
1: Well, you know, I, whenever I first read this question, and I was thinking, whenever I read the boss battle thing, I thought, well, some of the strongest game endings I've even experienced there—that it, it doesn't really exist. I that can't even way. think of one. Like Red Dead Two is a good example of what is that I'm a boss battle? Oh, no, okay. I, I that's what I'm saying. saying. No, like it, it doesn't. Now there are games with boss battles that, that too. end it. Um, a good example. You're Lizarvich fan. <laughs> Lazarvich is actually. I love mm. Lazarvich as a uh, as a villain because he's just so straightforward. <clears throat> yeah, it's fair. Rafe like, is a pretty good I, ending boss. Rafe is Rafe is a great villain, but that boss fight fucking sucks.
0: It does suck. It do, okay, so yeah, I've, I've said about I've it.
1: I have said it a million times but the fact that the order gets shit on for that boss battle, but the Wraith boss battle that gets shit on is bullshit because both are great for the story, but both Mm. are ostensibly bad. I'm not going to sit here and act like the orders boss fight doesn't suck. It kind of sucks. And the Wraith one kind of sucks too. And it's super unresponsive. And half the time I'd block and it just wouldn't do shit. It was frustrating. I remember how fucking it was hard for no reason. And I was just really annoyed. I'm like, this is cool story-wise, but this is shit. But, um, conceptually kind of where i was going a good example is like um jrpgs do this a lot but i find that like near automata is a good example to where what makes the ending so strong is this this constant back and forth where the game has been building on this thing and there's a tension in that particular game that's bouncing back and forth and then it all comes to a head and the weight of the moment it's not about the boss fight itself it's about what the fight represents and what i would say is that sometimes boss fights are just boss fights and they're meant to be mechanically fun and good and just wrap the story up whether or not it's super compelling that does happen Mm -hmm. then there are boss fights that are fun But the real weight of why you're invested in the boss fight and having such a good time with it is because of the emotional impact or the emotional conclusion of the head it's been building to. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's where Nier Automata and games like that excel because the ending is great not because of the boss battle, but because of what the boss battle represents within the conflict of these characters in this world. But. I got to throw it out there. Sometimes those two things combine in such a juicy, fun way that you are just over the moon about it. And I got to shout out God of war two because, Oh, hold on. God of war three, rather God of war three. Sorry. Um, the ending of God of war three. And I, I don't really want to spoil it, but that game is what? 13 years old at this point, mm-hmm. 12 years old, 13 years old. <laughs> Okay, if you know anything about God of War, the before Daddy Kratos, you know that <laughs> Zeus was the bad guy building up. And I think it's pretty reasonable for you to say that the series would end with you finally dealing with the Zeus problem of it all. And after multiple games, building up to this point and getting there, and then you finally fight Zeus, uh, which you fight him at two, but you fight him and this is the conclusion... I I almost don't want to say this, but I'm just going to say it. Chris, have you played God of War 3?
0: Yeah, of course. Great game.
1: When you start punching Zeus and the game just has you keep punching him, but it's from his perspective. And you just see his vision slowly going black and you can keep hitting the button and keep hitting the button and keep hitting the button until the screen is black and you can just still feel every time you hit the button that the controller rumbles and vibrates. That is powerful. I don't know what it is, but that game has, that game has got so much scale. The beginning boss fight with Poseidon, uh, oh, hell, every boss fight in that game is incredible. The, bo- the boss fight against Hades is incredible. But somehow, the simple fight with Zeus is not only mechanically fun probably the smallest scale fight in the whole game short of maybe Hermes and even then Hermes is moving around quickly so it gets scale from legitimate size of the arena in which you're in but that fight is probably the most impactful because not only is it fun mechanically you're just like I finally got that bitch finally got him and I love that end of that game it's incredible I think you're muted Chris Um, you can feel that boss fight yeah you can I don't want to go too far, but I know you've played the game, so I'll let it be there. Um, am I misremembering or am I remembering it in the way I wish it would have been in that uh, a specific scene with a specific person in The Last of Us 2 uh, where you uh, you beat the shit out of somebody. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about when you're in the spores?
0: Yes yes it's great great yeah Uh,
1: am I remembering that that is the same where you can just keep hitting square
0: yes I believe it is
1: because if not it should have been that but that's definitely the way my brain remembers it is that it was like a God of War 3 style moment where it was like I'm a terrible person (laughs) (laughs) and yet I'm kind of relishing and continuing to hitting this button even though this is objectively wrong
0: (laughs) bang bang I love that scene yeah, you know, give it's, me a PS5 version phew. so I can platinum it again.
1: I have actually thought about playing the since I didn't platinum it. I thought about replaying it finally uh, since it's got 60 frames per second and dual sense mm-hmm. control support. I don't think it'll come with a PS5 version strictly because of it's, it's already there. I wonder, though, if there was ever going to be a time to do it, it would have been when the show came out.
0: Really? Are you sure? But they just did that- The Last
1: of Us Part 1. <laughs>
0: I was going to say, I mean, there's going to be a season two that covers part two, which would make sense for a season two. Part 2 Last of Us part two, season two, director's cut edition.
1: (laughs) Imagine if they change the subtitle to season two. (laughs) (laughs) Considering that a lot of the online um, talk... I'm gonna to choose to say around that game was about the director. I think the Last of Us Two directors cut might be a little uh I think it might attract some unwanted attention on the internet <laughs> if you named it
0: that. Yeah. I agree.
1: So I don't know what you label it. Also, do you notice that we've not got another director's cut? We got two in a row. <laughs> And then no more. It was like Ghosts, Death Stranding, Director's Cuts. And you're like, okay, Sony's going to keep doing that. And we haven't gotten that at all since. Then. Well, what
0: else would there be a Director's Cut of?
1: That? <laughs> the, the other game that came out at the end of the PlayStation's life okay, cycle? Okay, sure. But I
0: still think that that makes a lot more sense for Season 2. I feel like that's the only reason we haven't gotten it. So, maybe fair point.
1: Maybe okay. okay. Uh, let's see. Another question we have, and remember, if you guys want to write in questions, we always put out a prompt for them on all the social media. So again, to remind you, Twitter is at Triangle S Q R D. Fi- uh, Facebook is Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast is a group, has to be entered in, uh, and then of course, link in the description below. Whether you're watching or listening, uh, is for the Discord where we have a little section where you can go on there and uh, and shout out your questions. The next one comes from. One of our patrons, MD, and you may notice that we always shout them out. We give patrons preferred reading as often as we can. Sometimes, of course, if there's a good question or a good point on the community's take that is not from a patron, we'll go ahead and fill it in. But we like to shout our patrons out. So MD says, if you had a chance to change careers and do something in the game industry, what position would you go for? Which one would suit your current skills? What developer would you go with? What era of games would you consider if you had a time machine? A lot of questions within there, but they kind of all work towards one particular thing. But I think the the first question I have for you, Chris, and this is Mm -hmm. what I've been struggling since I read this. Being someone who loves games, do you ever think that working in the industry might actually hurt your enjoyment of games? Yeah. You get what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. I mean just doing this podcast has hurt my enjoyment of games because I forced myself to play stuff. I wasn't in the mood for like horizon and God of war. And I don't like those games right now. So I mean, and I that think was just, without
1: anybody pushing your hand. Like you right? didn't, it, I felt like yeah, I had it was, to. it was self. Yeah. It was self
0: inflicted. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it would, again, I just think it depends. I feel like if you're making games, you make them because you love them, but I can't imagine, you know, I'm sure people who are on the Rockstar game staff aren't necessarily playing Red Dead or GTA Five, but they're probably still well, playing games.
1: Can, one of the things I find most interesting, and it depends on where you are, of course, the people we hear more from tend to be the people in the higher positions like directors. Uh, but one of the things you hear directors say often when they talk about games is how, oh, I'm just now getting around to this game. Oh, I'm just now, I, I, I don't get as much time to play games as I wish I did. Mm-hmm. And you know how I, I always talk about how I spend so much time on my computer at work that coming home and being on the computer is like, I, I think it's that mental inability. It, it makes it feel like you're home is working. work and, and work mm-hmm. is, yeah. Yeah, it's like, so I almost wonder if that's what happens with, like you're working on games all day. So when you go home and you go and play one, your brain's like, you're not working, man. You're not working. Like just, let's just not do it. So sometimes I think about that because even to your point, And this is something to go to Saul. Like, right when Saul was talking about uh, when when he was considering leaving the podcast finally, it came down to uh, his, his, I don't want to say too much, but like his responsibilities changed at home. And it became this question of like, doing the podcast is going to cut in the time I have to play games, which is already limited. And at what point would I rather just play games in the time that I have versus talk about games when I hardly get to play them? And it's a great point. And I support why he chose to leave. And now he just, when he has time, he gets to play games and he keeps up with it at his own pace. And like you said, you don't feel like you have to keep up with anything. I've been able to really divorce myself from feeling like I have to be playing the new thing for the podcast. Uh, hence why I played Vita for three months for some fucking reason. Um, <laughs> but I get it. I understand the pool. And I know I've been where I felt like we. I've got to play the new thing. So I have something to say. But I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I enjoy doing the podcast for the recording part of it. Like, I have a good time when we're recording. And at the end of the day, I just don't really give a shit. Like, we can talk about whatever, but I'm just going to play whatever I want to play. If it's not new, fucking I don't care. I played Jedi Survivor, what, six months after, like six weeks after it came out. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, that conversation was passed, but...
0: I'm playing Witcher 3, what, (laughs) six years after it came
1: out, so... Uh, That came out the year my daughter was born, so eight years.
0: (laughs) Jesus Christ! See now, I'm just thinking about like where I was when that originally came out.
1: Whew. That's a long time ago, dog. All right, well, let's four. get back to the. Qu- oh, <laughs> dude, let's get back to the question at hand, though. So, do if you were going to do a career in games, assuming we were, what type of position would you be going for? Would you want to be something more in the front lines? Would you want to be one of the, you know? faceless names on the credit thing where like you test the game or you're developing the art or you're writing like do you have something like that that you think you tap into I either want to be a writer or a designer
0: like I think looking at the whole thing like writing probably fits my current skill set better but if I was starting over you know I think I might look at something like design and work for a team like second dinner who's behind Marvel snap and trying to come up with cool ways for the cards to come up to play and cool uses for the cards and cool uses for the character. So I think that's something where I would go with and, you know, try and design a game and see if I could. So
1: either, either you'd want to be in the writing part where you're dealing with the mechanics of how the stories, how the characters within the story are interacting or the actual mechanics of how the game itself would work.
0: Yeah, it's just it's weird because I think it would depend. I think obviously, and I think anyone really would feel this way. But if I either if I was writing or if I was designing, I would want it to be my vision. You know. Yeah. So if I was writing, I would want to be the lead writer where we're writing, we're making a game around my story. And yeah, there's a writing room and there's people who help, but we're we're still in my universe or we're making my card game with the mechanics that I've come up with kind of thing. So
1: yeah, kind of a John Garvin approach when he talked about days gone. Like, he's like, this is my game. Like I wrote it. Exactly. Like, you know, everyone else is making the game with me, but I'm, you know, I, I'm writing this story and that's my burden. Mm-hmm. Therefore it's going to go the way I want. Um, i find that interesting right because like you know sometimes it's like what type of games do you like and sometimes i like games that are not about working with others and sometimes i like games that are about working with others and it's funny because i feel like that goes into the way you'd feel about making a game like if you're if you're real big into mmos and games where you're constantly playing with other people then i feel like you'd probably want to be in a position making a game where you're cooperating with a big group of people is real collaborative and then i feel like certain people are going to be like well i like this part of the game where it's more story driven and it's not about everybody else so it's a more singular focus and yeah there's people to help but in the reality it's following one person's vision um so i can see both of those part of me thinks um, i was thinking for a bit like maybe community manager would be fun and doing a oh, completely man. different side. <clears throat> and then immediately I thought to myself, I only interact, and I mean this with love, everybody, but I interact with the community for this show because I, we created the show. Like, I created the show. It's my product, my baby, and I enjoy talking with people about things we're talking about. But I, I'd be 100% lying to you if I acted like there are not times where something happens on Twitter or in Discord or something, and I dread having to deal with it. I'm not even kidding. Like, sometimes I was just like, not like, one, one time something was going on in the Discord and I was in the middle of something and I was not emotionally ready to deal with it and I was like, I'm just not going to deal with it right now. I'm just not, I'm just going to do whatever I want and whenever I feel like I can come back and address this, I'll address this. And that part sucks, if I'm being yeah. honest. Like, I'm, it's just a reality of what it is. Um, So yeah, community manager sounds like it'd be a nightmare. Also because online... You deal, like Chris said, as community manager, you're going to be on social media. One of the most popular forms of that social media is Twitter. Twitter's not real life. We've come full circle. Yep. (laughs) And I am not going to sit there and let people on Twitter who are the nastiest, most niche part of the gaming community... Treat me any type of way. I'm not going to be in a position where I feel like one wrong word or one wrong move or one mistaken thing that I said is going to cost me my career or my livelihood um, because of how terminally online the community aspect of gaming has become, um, at least in, in terms of social media and how developers interact with the community on a larger scale. I think small scale communities can still work really well. And even though I dread aspects of ours, ours mostly goes well. I mean, it's not like I'm every day having something go on. They're rare and I'm glad they are. Um, So going back in, I don't, I think Chris could tell this and who knows, it may have annoyed him at the time, but I think Chris can tell. I like proofing stuff, if that makes sense. Like I like, Reading something or playing something and being like, "Here is where you should maybe look at doing it this way, and what might that give you and what might the what might this do be it in a story capacity or in a gameplay capacity uh, but I don't know what position that is, you know like I'm trying to think of, like I don't think game tester is the right thing because that's more like, like QA pushing to break the game, yeah, like doing QA would just be you're trying to make sure the game's not broken. But I would like to be in a position where like – I guess kind of like what David Jaffe does. Um, He talks about now how he's a – what is is that damn word for that? A consultant. Yes. Like where you would just be like you play the game. You would talk about what type of market you think it's going to go for, if there's things that could be better or worse, or if it's leaning enough into what market they say they're aiming for. That could be interesting. So – I think I'd I'd like to be in there where like sometimes I get really excited when Chris is writing something and Chris, uh, as someone who does music and does the same thing, I understand this. Most of what Chris has written has not been released and most of what I've recorded and written as music has not been released. (laughs) But I really enjoy when Chris sends me something. To read, and then I just read it, and I'd be like, "Oh, this is cool. This is cool. This is cool. I think this could be used a little different. Maybe think about what you're doing there." And I don't mm-hmm. know how valuable that is to you, Chris, but I enjoy that process. Well, I, you know what I, I mean?
0: like it, and it makes me feel a little bit more. I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit more collaborative than I need to be on some of my work, but I like. Definitely I like just, can happen I definitely, but I think, and this is a me thing, is I like sending my stuff out and like just being like is this any good and even mm-hmm. if you're like yeah I have this this and this criticism but I think you should continue like that's great like I did that with yeah. you know one of the things I wrote I started writing a while ago and I said that to Sadie and I'm like I think I should even keep working on this or do something else she was like I like it keep writing it I was like okay you know
1: yeah well and like you you did I was really enjoyed the one thing I know for sure you've put out uh, yes. the, the paper bag <laughs> Yes,
0: yeah, close, but All right.
1: yeah. Pieces. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, whatever. But yes, that was a cool piece. And that's the kind of stuff where it was cool because I saw the iteration up until you released it. And that was kind of like, oh, nice. <laughs> like, I could see where you changed what things until suddenly you had a complete product. So, that would be cool. I think it'd be really nice being in that position within gaming because you would see every aspect of how it's slowly but surely evolving until you get to the release product, which you know has to be very different than the very beginning stage that you were in at. So, I think that would go towards my skills. I'm a good... In in, in real life, online, it's a little harder. But in real life, i say I'm a good mediator. Like, I can just... Come into something, be relatively level headed, and try and bring everybody, you know, down if they're up, bring them up if they're down. So that'd be fun. I think that's that would match my current skill set. I'm also I'm also like stupid, meticulous sometimes to maybe even a fault. I don't know where the value of that comes into gaming, but maybe somewhere. Go ahead, Chris.
0: Oh, I was just saying I think you'd be good at it too, because when we were going through pieces, I remember you had one criticism and I was like, no and this is why and you're like okay yeah that makes sense (laughs) yeah so you're not someone who's like fuck you like i'm telling you to change it you're like oh okay you're willing to hear it which is why i think you'd be good at the job of criticizing and having to hear someone be like go fuck yourself this is why we do it this way
1: (laughs) all right so we know what we know kind of where we'd want to be position wise even if we don't have a name for all of them do you have a developer that comes that you'd be going to Um,
0: if I was designing I think right now in my head it would be somewhere like Second Dinner because I like who is the developer had Marvel Snap for the record Um, that right now is where I have my most creative ideas and stuff that I would be interested in and like my thoughts of like oh this card would work really well or why did you make this decision like to me it's crazy that Cyclops isn't one of the best destroy cards in the game you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, but they have their reasons, and I would be like, no, oh, this should be one of the best destroy cards in the game. So I think for them, but if I was writing maybe a, a hot pick, I would go to Spiders.
1: Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mainly because I think you'd exceed it that type of writing. Because mm-hmm. part of what I think you run into is. Having to have a one singular that has the most impact that you have to try and track, I think you would do really well creating a large amount of scenarios and focusing in on how those continue to break down and travel to where there's less emphasis of feeling like, there's only one storyline I have to make sure it hits. Like there's a lot of good within that, but it's a little more paralyzing because you yeah. start feeling like you sit on something. Because, like, I don't know if it's ready. I don't know if it's ready. And I think the beauty of what spiders does is it's a bunch of well-written, interesting variations of stories because of how things break apart in this mm-hmm. RPG nature. And I think that the pressure is lifted because of the variable feeling of it. You as a player, you feel like, Oh, I'm impacting this. So even if it's not the greatest thing I've ever experienced, it's really good and I'm experiencing, I'm impacting it so it's helping. And then I think that helps you as a writer because you know that you have to go down a bunch of different paths. I've always been curious to see how they do that. I'd, I'd really like to talk with someone in the writing staff for an RPG because do they task – different branches to different writers or do they task really primarily to just a group of writers and say, everybody's going to collectively work on the entire game, all variations, all branches.
0: Yeah. I would like to know. Um, I definitely feel like you're right about that because it's even when I write now, like I come up with really cool concepts, like the concept for the book I've sent you and I've been working on is superheroes versus monsters. And I think that's mm-hmm. dope as hell. But writing, it's fucking hard because I've got side characters that in my head I have whole stories for that I can't put in the book even though they're cool as hell. So it's that would definitely be a place I would go. So where would you work, Brett? The Coalition? I'm going to go. Three, four, three.
1: No, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> and my answer will surprise you. I want to be at a developer, a development studio that is uh, putting out games quicker. So that I don't get bored on a single project for too long, and I think where you're seeing that and where you're seeing a lot of variation within their types of project is Super Giant Games. That's, That's where I'd want to be. Okay, because they put out a game roughly every two years without you know much without much fail. Realistically, uh, maybe three years. It's gotten a little bit longer as with all things, but I guess what I'm saying is you have Bastion, Transistor, things. Pyre, Hades, and Hades Two is about to come out, and so when you look at that. Uh, what is that? A three-year release schedule? That's great. Mm-hmm. That's sick. Yeah, because part of me is like, I, like, like you know, we were talking about White Rabbit earlier, and like, yeah. I love Death Gambit, but I, I would eventually get tired of like Twin Motion. I, I love Dead Cells. Eventually, i to be twin. like, all right, can we just most, yes, yeah, said Twin Motion, but Motion Twin, and you get to that point where it's like, eventually, I'd be like, but can we do something that's not Dead Cells? Like, yeah. can we just? move on and i think that those you get that type of love and commitment from games out of super giant but then they move on and they make something different and i think that'd be really cool uh okay lastly for that and then we're going to kind of wrap up with uh velvet's corner do you have an era of games that you'd want to be in within that do you would that be i guess for me if it's going to be super giant it would have to be realistically the ps late ps3 early ps4 Era or through yeah, PS4. I was, was going to say the same thing because,
0: you know, the reality is I would want to be in the PS5 era. Like, I, I have nostalgia for the old era and all like that kind of stuff, but I wouldn't want to be making PS2 games where everyone is a block of wood, or I wouldn't want to be making PS2 games where the fidelity is not great. Like, fidelity doesn't matter to a certain point, but especially for someone like me, where I think I've told you this, when I write, like, I have an actor in mind of who I'd want to see them played in the movie. And that's not because, like, I have the hubris to think anything I'm working on is good enough to be a movie, but because it helps me understand the character to be like, okay, um, this char- the main character of my book is being played by Joaquin Phoenix, right? And that in my head is like, okay, so this is what he looks like, this is what he does, this is how he acts. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I would want to see that in higher fidelity. It would help me.
1: I can see that, but I actually, you know, we talk about it a lot, and my reasoning is the same. If I wasn't going to do Super Giant, but I wanted the same type of thing, PS3 is the answer for me because you had high-fidelity games, so if I was going to be, if I was going to move out of the more indie space into, like, a triple-A capacity, PS3 would be a great era to do that because you were releasing triple-A games on a two- to three-year release cycle for most developers, and we're not there anymore. Uh, So, you know, like, being at Naughty Dog uh, and watching uncharted unfold being at gorilla and watching them go from kill zone to one to two into the three and seeing how that goes and being part of that process would be a lot more compelling and fun because you won't get burnt out on one project so quickly. So PS3 has the same aspect I like of indies in the later er uh, era, you know, eras, but in the triple A space, I mean, the same is true of PS2 in the triple A space. It's just, Games weren't that triple A yet. PS3 and mm-hmm. 360s, where you started getting like triple A, you know, tens of millions, sometimes hundreds of million dollar games, depending on what was going on. So that'd be fun. Uh, but, Chris, Brett, I think it is time do, 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 do. to, to edge you once more because I've not had time to work on this Jesus. with Velvet's Corner. All right, everybody. We are at Velvet's Corner. We've made it here. Remember, if this is not your bag, this is usually where we answer kind of an interesting, weird take on gaming. Any kind of question that comes from uh, Velvet Thunder, one of our patrons, has uh, that Chris decided to christen the end of the show as a dedicated segment to his question. So, uh, (laughs) Velvet comes this week and he says, if you had the opportunity to staff your house with video game characters, who would you choose to be your chef, butler, gardener, housekeeper, and driver, and why?
0: Do you want to go first? Because my answer is very quick and it's the right answer.
1: (laughs) Is it one person for
0: all? It's one person for all of them, yeah. (laughs) I
1: I had a feeling. Go ahead. I'm just curious. Agent 47. We are on such a close wavelength. (laughs) If If you remember, Agent 47 was my roommate answer. Yeah, it's true. And a lot of people came out, and you acted like I was insane for choosing Agent 47. And now you're telling me that you're going to staff your entire house. That's what he says staff your house. You are getting a roommate that you're giving responsibilities to. (laughs) Yeah. But. as, the funny listen, part of it is, is that I keep thinking of Agent 47 being dressed up in like a, a chef outfit. That's a what I'm saying. Outfit, the gardener garb. And then you have the added benefit that if anybody tries to kill you or do anything at any random part of the day. He's also security. There. Yeah, he's, exactly. he's holding you in his sweet non-embrace. You know, he's keeping you safe. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So if I'm going to answer this differently. If we're going to make fun of me. So the cook, I would go from, I would go with the lady who cooks eggs at the beginning of Metal Gear Solid 4. Um, mm. If I was going okay. for... Well, hold on. I'm going to go. Let,
1: let's bounce back. My chef okay, would be the chef back. from Monster Hunter World. Damn, that's a great answer. Those cra- dude, those crazy juicy fuck yeah, dude. That guy, he can be my chef. Even the fucking cat chefs from Monster Hunter Rise. Yeah. Chow that's a and great dad. answer. But Monster Hunter World has better looking food than Rise, so that's my chef. I don't know his name, it doesn't matter. He's going to be there. There's going to be drums and shit and he's going to be cooking, I'm going to be outside. I want to have like a fucking outside patio pit where he just works in, stays in 24/7 cuz clearly I'd be in a, a scenario, good answer right? too.
0: Well 100% yeah.
1: Well, be, to be fair, Breath of the Wild's cooking mechanic is essentially just the cooking mechanic for Monster Hunter World, for being honest. Or from Monster. Valid,
0: Hunter. valid. But I don't we'll get to hear that sick jingle.
1: Um, the the one in Monster Hunter is also a classic. I'll give you that. But they're both good.
0: Yeah. The Butler. Oh, Butler is easy as hell. Alfred Pennyworth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I thought it too. Yeah, it's easy. So now, now, now I feel like i got to give a different answer. Damn it. Okay, hold on. Let me think through. Who's organized? Could Sully work here? Yeah. <laughs> As a butler? <laughs> he's, a, he, he's essentially Nathan's Alfred.
0: I, no. He, the problem with Sully is he you could hire him as your butler. He's not doing any work for you. He's ah, just I mean, smoking cigars point. and trying to figure out how he can rob your house.
1: Is that not the best butler, though? Like, he just fucking chills with you all day telling but dirty jokes? He doesn't do
0: any of the work. If I have a butler and I have to answer the front door, the butler's fucked up, and I know for a fact Sully is not answering
1: the door. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll pivot. I'll pivot. Give me a second here. Okay, butler qualities. Butler qualities. It's got to be somebody who who wants it. You know, oh, that's the okay. thing. Like they're going to be working. They're gonna. They're gonna. has <coughs> to be something they want to do that they need the money for. Who's somebody who's just, like, in gaming that's perpetually broke and needs the money? It's a good question.
0: <laughs> Luffy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> God. I, I mean, it, it is an answer. He is in gaming. Franklin. <laughs> I. It's weird that I thought about that, like a minute ago I was like Did any of the San Andreas characters would be like you know they, that might be interesting
0: <laughs> yeah so oh man, you when you say Frank Lossom you mean GTA 5 right yes I do mean GTA 5 <laughs> yeah. well you could go with Alfred that is the best answer so I understand
1: I mean it's it's the ostensibly best answer
0: except for the people who are butler. like Alfred haters
1: are there Alfred haters oh I've got it give me a second because I'm <laughs> I'm skipping over the name because we're talking <laughs> the guy about who voiced, <laughs>
0: Solid Snake in the sequels. He's doing it in the remake.
1: <laughs> All right, hold on. Do, 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 do. Easy. All right, so Tales of, Tales of Zillia, a uh, fantastic game, first and forwards, uh, foremost. Uh, Lady Elise has got... Give me a second. Uh, I'm not looking for that, but okay, I'll take it. Uh anyway, Lady Elise is got a butler, or a, I'm gonna call him a butler, but his name's Rowan. Uh and he's cool. If you haven't played the game, it's not gonna track. But he's basically Elise's like bodyguard care guy, and he he strikes me like Alfred. Like he helps her, he does stuff for her, keeps her safe, teaches her all these important lessons. I think he's a good answer. He's a good, he's a good vibe. At some point, if Fresh Prince taught me anything, is you want your butler to have some dad like qualities, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you just, that's, that's where it's at. You want to, you want to have a butler who's, you know, you don't want to have, you don't want a smart house butler. Disney showed me that that's not a good idea. They'll start like throwing oranges and shit at you. So, (laughs) all right, we continue, we continue down the list. We continue. And where are we at here? Uh, So we've done butler, gardener.
0: Easy. Again, easy answer. The farmer from Stardew Valley.
1: I'm going to go a little more abstract with mine and I'm going to choose someone who's really talented with like a blade. So
0: we can say like uh, the guy from uh, oh what's the game? What's
1: Dark Sector? (laughs) He's just throwing those sighs at your weeds. I want to go with Sakai. He's clearly very skilled with a blade. And my thought process is that I won't have much in the way of flowers. I'll just have a bunch of really ornate bushes that I have someone use a sword to shape into various things. And Japanese stuff works because I'll just do shit like origami style plants in the front. You know, I'll like get an origami swan, you know, bush. That'd be cool. All right. I like Maybe that answer. One. I like that answer. And then he's zen, you know, like he he can be zen. Doesn't always have to be. It's the whole point of the game. So still let him
0: be naked in your pool.
1: I don't. know He reflects a lot whenever that happens. You know, he grows uh-huh. as a person and as a character.
0: Yeah, but both it's in pool, the man.
1: both in the story sense and as uh, in, in a you know in a progression sense, he, he grows. I wish I knew uh,
0: how to make a haiku in my off the top of my head because I could come up with a great one right there. <laughs> Was it three seven four
1: right five five seven five? No.
0: Oh. Yeah. I must clean clean this uh... house. I must clean the house, but I prefer sitting in pool. Good housekeeper. I am not.
1: 10 out of 10. Let's go.
0: Freestyle haikus, baby.
1: I do not know what's happening. Here's the hope, and we don't have uh, similar issues as we had last week, uh, where I lost Luke's video because of ZenCaster freaking out. But in the meantime, all right, we go to housekeeper.
0: Got another easy one. Main character from unpacking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with like the I'm gonna go with like the hot maid style thing, and I'll just say like. The the chick from Bayonetta, like I just want to watch her walk around in a skimpy suit.
0: Gotcha. What's wrong with that? Like you that.
1: know. No, yeah. listen.
0: We all have our things. You want two B in there in a maid outfit?
1: Wait a minute. We talked about this earlier. My housekeeper would be Triss. It's a better answer. She's sweet. She's loving. Still attractive. She's not Yen on the crazy hot scale, but she's very attractive. She's beautiful, right? You know, like Yen's hot. You look at her and you're like, oh, feisty. And you look at Tris and you're like, loving, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. just beauty. Tits. <laughs> tits. Both of them are just tits <laughs> for days. Uh, that's just, that's how those characters were made. Uh, all right. Last one. I've got my answer. Driver. Who's your driver?
0: You answer first because I'm trying to decide between two people.
1: My answer would be the hippo from the Sly Cooper series. The Murray. Because he's already got a sweet fucking van. I don't have to do anything. That's a cooler vehicle to ride around down in. And he's clearly a professional driver shown multiple times throughout the series where he has to win races. And I also just have a soft spot for him. You know, he's a big pink lovable dope for being honest. That's that's what he is. Love that. All right. I have two and I don't know who to pick. Are you down talking the Murray? (laughs) Why are
0: you talking like it's stone cold? Steve
1: Austin. That's how he sounds. I don't want to tell you, man. Bone saws you, coming. Have, you got three minutes. <laughs> three minutes of time. <laughs> no. <laughs> have you never played a Sly Cooper game? Do you not know? No, Actually, not. they they changed Murray's voice actor at one point. Uh, but that's more or less what his character sounds like. It's That's his normal thing. Definitely in three when he's calling himself the Murray. or I guess it's two. He's calling himself the Murray. Um this was hard. This was the one hard one because I had to pick
0: between two characters. But I'm going it's the with the uh,
1: character from Driver.
0: <laughs> that's fucked up actually because that's my second choice. Yeah, John Tanner was my second choice. Uh my first choice <laughs> is Roche from Final Fantasy 7.
1: Oh okay. Yeah, that's pretty sweet actually.
0: Yeah. yeah. Take rides on that fucking motorcycle all
1: day. Dude, okay, no, give me a second yeah. though. Because there's a lot of really good answers in that particular regard, right? There's some classic vehicles, some classic people to drive them.
0: Hmm.
1: Mm. Yeah, drivers. I'm sticking with the Murray. He's it's a good answer. He's known for his driving, but there's a whole world out there. I think the problem with John
0: Tanner is just the second he gets upset, he just blinks into another car, and
1: you're just left <laughs> with no driver. <laughs> I, I guess you can get real vague with it, like the Spy Hunter guy. <laughs> <laughs> the dude driving the car and the getaway. Playing the PS2, uh, playing the PS2 version of a uh, Spy Hunter, where like you jump into the water and then the car turns into a boat. And I thought when I was a kid, I was like, "This shit's wild. This is crazy." Oh, I've got another the Spy Hunter games you. are still good. Yeah, yeah they're they're fine. Um,
0: Anakin Skywalker from Star Wars Pod Racing. <laughs>
1: okay. Okay, that's a good one, actually.
0: Yeah, I'll take now, that. that. Now, this is pod that, racing. This is pod racing. Oh, <sighs> yeah, brother.
1: You know what else is great about that? Because he is strong with the force, he can sense things before they happen mm-hmm. because of that. So He's really the chances the of you getting driver. in a wreck are basically impossible,
0: right? Right. And because it's Anakin, he has a terrible temperament. So anytime you know there's a road rage incident, he just forces the car off the, off the road and it's easy money. <laughs> I'm getting right to and work, gets, dog.
1: You get home and he starts crying. I killed them,
0: <laughs> the mother and the children too. Why did you have me take? Why did you have me take you to the
1: beach? The women, I and hate the sand. Too. It's coarse. <laughs> it gets everywhere. We were talking about having our me and my buddy Blaze. we talking about having our wives watch uh, episode two. Because we watched episode one a while back. So we yeah. like, got to watch episode two. And I was like, you guys just got to know it's one of the most quotable movies of all time. <laughs> it's just, maybe yeah. not for the best reasons, but it's an incredibly quotable mu- movie.
0: My favorite midweek intro is still the one where I put, was for the one for Twilight, where I put the Anakin Skywalker thing over the, under the Kristen Stewart one. And it just works perfectly. It does I work that. perfectly.
1: I'll give you that. All right. That has been the one, the only, Cool. And we will be back next week. Chris, thank you for joining me. Thank you. This is an interesting time. Maybe by early July, the FTC will answer whether or not they're going to let Activision finally be bought or not. But I don't even know what to think if that suddenly goes south. It'll be a weird time when when if we go back to Activision just being actively not bought. It's gonna be weird. It's 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 not been the the status quo for two years now.
0: I look. The funniest thing that could possibly happen is the deal not going down and Sony working out a deal for Call of Duty exclusivity. <laughs> that would be. We'll pay you six point sixty nine billion dollars to never put it on Xbox again.
1: and the ftc will just say well they didn't buy my activision as a whole so it's okay
0: (laughs) the ftc would have absolutely
1: no purview over that just a business deal yeah no it'd be so funny all right well let's see uh we have one last thing to do and that is of course wrap the show up by reminding you guys that if you like what's going on here consider rating and reviewing the show whether you're uh You know, listening on some podcast service that has that or if you're watching on YouTube, comment with things that you want to talk to us about. Give us your input on things that we've said. We'd love to hear anything that you have to say. If you liked what we did here on YouTube, consider subscribing so you can keep up with these episodes whenever they drop. Uh, Lastly, for those lovely people who went to patreon.com slash nartech and gave us a little as a dollar per month, we always shout them out at the end of episodes just as a big thank you. So (coughs) while the list is still uh, reasonable to do that, we will wrap the show up. By thanking Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, It's a Sin to Win, Sean Easton, Aztec King, Lichion 69 The Lord Corgi, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayres, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Sanderud. Thanks to each and every one of you. See you next week.